Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's show was recorded on May the 30th, 2017. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, stalling for time, Caffeine Rage. On today's show, we will of course be discussing the games that we played. We'll have our monthly game club, Shadow of the Colossus. We'll be discussing next month's game club. Far Cry 5 has an interesting controversy. Final Fantasy 7 Remake and Kingdom Hearts 3 are launching in eh, three years or so. <laughs> Divinity Original Sin 2 exits early access in September, our weekly community corner, and our Steam Discovery queue. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Rage, how are you? Uh, doing alright, I guess. I mean, I say that about every week, but yeah. That's true. That's true. You do. I mean, that's kind of my default, you know? Yeah. Any Any stories to tell this week? Uh, well, I missed another uh, uh, episode on uh, uh, my YouTube channel because tried to record and uh, weird interaction between recording software and uh, the game I was trying to play uh, crashed my video card drivers. And I learned my lesson from Halo because I was already a little frustrated, so I said, fuck it. Yep, that's great. Keep telling that story. Let's add those seconds in. <laughs> uh let's 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 peel back the curtain it was another very very slow news week and we're starting late because we were desperately trying to find things to add to the docket to to make time so we're gonna give it our best shot people e3's coming up though so you're probably gonna get like another four or five hour episode for that so we'll make up for it and then the news cycle should return to normal for a while well, we could always just talk like this the entire episode. We shouldn't do that. That would be terrible. <laughs> I'll just in post, I'll slow down the audio by like 5%, and then that'll get us to the three-hour mark. Well, be sure you do it by tempo and not uh, just a, a generic uh, uh, change of speed. Otherwise... Everyone will start talking a little bit lower in register. <laughs> yeah, but that's the fun of it. Make your voice even deeper, and my voice will be deep for once. Yeah, sound uh, like uh, Louis Armstrong uh, with a f- frog caught in his throat. Indeed. Indeed. Well, I'm doing pretty good this week and today. Had a nice, relaxed Memorial Day weekend, which is uh, for anyone who's not from the u.s is a a holiday where we celebrate uh our fallen veterans Uh, and don't forget the news always runs a a bunch of uh, stories about how we're forgetting the meaning of uh, memorial day you know just like every single other holiday they uh, talk about how we are forgetting the meaning behind it yeah i mean mostly people just take the day off or have the day off work and drink or sleep in or have barbecues so that's pretty much like every holiday that's not in winter time around here drinking and barbecues don't forget guns yep and guns some of those getting pissed off about video games i didn't do that yesterday i had a very nice relaxed i was alluding to uh upcoming uh topics that's true very true 
god guns and being pissy about video games. Yeah. Welcome, <laughs> Welcome to Far Cry, everyone, but we'll get to that much <laughs> later. It's a little tease for later. Um, as much as I like to stall for time, I don't want to like just waste time. So well, we, might as well just, we might as well just go talk about the games we played this week, and maybe we'll draw that out a little bit longer, too. <laughs> so, Rage, what game, singular, did you play this week? Yeah, since I was fighting with my recordings, uh, I only really got one game in because, well, I also had some time with uh, the Game Club game. Uh, not much time. We'll talk about that later. Uh, talk uh, did a video on Slow Drive, a... I guess you could call this a puzzle platformer driving game because there are, there is some uh, elements of uh, a puzzle platformer in this. And th- th- this was a game I was showing screenshots to people trying to figure out, okay, is it just me or is something seriously wrong with the menu design this game? Because it is retina burning. Yeah, it's a, it's a headache generator. If it was any more of a migraine generator, Nintendo would have produced it in the '90s as a uh, as a handheld, <laughs> or sorry, handheld in massive sarcasm quotes as they put it on a damn stand. Virtual Boy, everyone, Virtual Boy. Uh, but yeah, well, to give you an idea, uh, the all the menus in game, uh, there, uh, the uh, main menu and the level select screens aren't quite as bad, but they're still very bad are like a lime or chartreuse background with white text on it it's like yo it's the migraine yeah it's so bright but not in a good way it's not like oh this is fun and bright and colorful it's oh my this is like the surface of the sun yeah I I, I sent you several screenshots of this uh, seeing if, if it was just me because it's one of those things that I look at this, and then I look at the reviews. It's like there's nobody bitching about yo know, how this is causing migraines. Is it me? Am I the? Is it me? Here, here, look at this. Oh God, my eyes. Okay, not me. <laughs> no, it's ter- it gave me a headache. Well, my theory on this is that the developer and it is a single man development team with uh, some licensing of uh, art and uh, music uh, is it's not, it has some sort of color blindness and i don't mean that as a, you know a, a, a they're talk, uh, you know just talking down and saying well this guy obviously you can't see what he's doing i mean there's something going on with this guy that it makes it so that this color choice is acceptable that's the only thing i could think of Either that or there's something seriously fucked up with his monitor. <laughs> yeah. Or combination of both. Yeah, actually the it was worst toying of around both worlds. In, Yeah, I was actually toying around in GIMP with the various color filters. And if he is completely uh colorblind, you know, can't see color at all and has just grayscale vision, which can happen, then it is readable. <laughs> but yeah, it's just well, I, I We've been talking for nearly 10 minutes, and I haven't even mentioned what the gameplay is like. It, <laughs> That's true. It, because uh, it's just one of those games that I want to like this a lot more, but it's just, it's, you know, like, it's the headache. And even the world is also very bright with a lot of very contrasting colors. Particularly, well, the grass has the same, you know, kind of like lime chartreuse thing going on. 
uh, against a white fog in the distance. Yeah, your typical, yeah, hiding of uh, the level generation. But what the game is, if you could get past the headache generator, is a fairly simple driving puzzler where, uh, think of it as, I, I want to call it almost Super Meat Boy uh, beats a driving game, where it's a bunch of very short levels, and your goal is to get to the end as fast as possible. And it uses the mobile style of stars where uh, content is locked off behind a certain number of stars, and uh, to get the stars, you have to beat a certain time. And a lot of the times, even to pass the level with one star, the most obvious path is not the, uh, usually the best. You know, uh, pulling off uh, strange jumps or just, you know, finding hidden paths. And uh, that part I actually liked. Uh, the driving uh, physics are very simplistic. And also what kind of threw me off for quite a while until I realized that when I got uh, kind of uh, high-sided on a corner one time is that the car is front-wheel drive. You know, not something that I would think of uh, because usually the cars that I encounter are rear are rear wheel, right? Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, and that that is a completely that completely changes how the car handles because you know that's where the power is coming from. And overall, it does a decent job. It most of the time, uh, physics wise, it does what I expected. There are times that it did some weird, you know. You know, little skids, but I think that's more just you know, the physics being very simplistic and the driving model being very simplistic. It is a Unity game. I'm not sure if it's running the latest version of Unity that has a lot more support for driving games, or if this is using the older versions that you know, Kerbal Space Program had some serious issues with driving in. <laughs> right. Uh, but let's see, what else? Uh, Oh, something that kind of got to me. This is the my other major complaint about this game, outside of just yo, know, just oh god, my eyes, is that they kind of fudge the number of levels that they have in this game. All right, they uh, boast uh, sixty uh, levels in the game. You know, pretty standard for this uh, price of game. It's a fairly cheap uh, driving game. It's what I now I'm blanking the uh, price of this thing. It is five ninety nine, so yeah, pretty cheap. So yeah, yeah, sixty levels, not bad, so even if they're just short levels. But the thing is that what they did was they have level chains, where it's broken up into. I believe each uh, world has twelve levels. So levels one, two, and three are segments of level four. And level four is one, two, and three put together. So they're kind of fudging things there. See what I'm saying? Yeah, I see that. Because I was going to say, how do you fudge level numbers? It's like either you have them or you don't. But I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's uh, technically they're different levels because uh, the way you're uh, approaching the levels can change just because you have the momentum from uh, the previous levels. So yeah, you know, the first se- uh, uh, segment of the level is you may approach differently because you want to have more speed going across the finish line to get to the next uh, segment quicker or, you know, uh, to pull off a big jump. Uh, a matter of fact, in the, I think it's the first level chain. There's a, a jump that you can make uh, in the standalone version of that level. But in the chain, 
it is a lot easier to pull off because you have a rolling start. But on the flip side of things, there are some uh, times that you know, you'll come into a into a level segment that you have a lot more speed than you normally would have, and that can make uh, pulling off a really tight turn a lot t- more difficult. Right. And then there's also uh, I didn't get to unlock the best levels, which is essentially uh, difficult levels that have a very short uh, uh, view distance. And it requires a lot more memorization of exactly what's going on. But I did unlock the puzzle levels where uh, there's blocks moving around and you, it requires a lot more timing than the other uh, levels do. But it is an interesting concept, but it's still pulling the kind of cheesing the number of levels. Granted, it's not a lot. It's still, it's three levels per world, so... Uh, you're essentially well actually that is still a fair amount because you're still losing about 12 levels assuming you know you're uh, wanting uh, the entire 60 but there's also the bonus worlds that uh, at the after you unlock or after you beat everything it's essentially a sandbox where okay you're uh, putting this uh, level you're told to hit these checkpoints and this amount of time figure it out which uh, relies a lot more on your puzzle solving uh, than your driving skill, to be perfectly honest. Overall, I like the game, but I couldn't play the game. (laughs) And even uh, the 20 minutes I did for the Sunday sampler, I was already starting to develop a headache again. And it's a real shame because I think I would like this a lot more if it wasn't so headache-inducing. It's a very simplistic art style. It's the low-poly art style, which is starting to be seen very often these days because it's very easy to do. It's bright uh, to, well, even, well, too bright, really. But, you know, if if they just tone down the saturation just a little bit, that's the thing. Because you could just look at the screenshots on uh, the Steam page and just... A couple of them are just blinding, blindingly bright. Yeah. Did you adjust your monitors? I mean, oh, that's I t- not I, the way you should do it. I toyed around my you... monitor settings just to see if I could get any uh, version of this to play without you know giving me a headache. I could not get it to uh, not give me a headache. It was mostly the the menus that were triggering that migraine for me though. And there was nothing I could do outside of just completely throwing off my color balance. And honestly, that's asking too much, even for, you know, me. And it's a shame because there's not a lot of little driving puzzle games like this. Or at least I can think of off the top of my head. There are some driving games similar to this, but not quite like this, you know? Yeah, I can't really think of any either I mean I'm sure there's some that exist but yeah I can't really think of any off the top of my head but yeah I think that's about it for slow drive it's a game I wanted to like a lot more and it just I couldn't play it it's it's the same problem I have with a a few other games that just trigger like motion sickness for me I want to like them I want to play them I just can't yeah, it looked cute, and it looked like it was a, a neat idea, fun little game, just unplayable because of all the massive bright color scheme. 
making you want to gouge your eyeballs out from the pain. Yeah, the thing is, you are just subjected to the menus. Yeah, just a, a couple of screenshots you sent me. And the thing is that uh, I would say the overworld is a little bit worse just because it's the, uh, yeah, you're seeing it for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. I'm creating some, uh, some levels aren't nearly as bad as others. And that's probably another thing is just, you know, just how, di- uh, how diverse the uh, levels or the brightness of some of the levels are. I'm not sure if yeah. the mist levels would be uh, worse or uh, better uh, just because you have the shorter field of view. Or shorter view distance, I should say. Right. Well, we may never know. I would like to see them do a a slow drive, too. I hope that they do get some uh, feedback on this, though. Because, damn. (laughs) And even just the main menu. It's a white background uh, with uh, a cyan uh, blocks. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, there's just some weird, weird color choices in this game and some very uh, odd things going on. And I think I've milked this for enough. <laughs> yeah. So it's my turn. Let's see if I can milk some extra time out of out of my game. So the first game that I've got on my list is uh, Train Conductor World, which is a, a mobile game. It's a little train puzzle game um, where that... That you dropped something. <laughs> that was Katie. She opened the door. She was like, I'm going to come in here later for my laptop, and I'm going to be really quiet. And the door opens, and she knocks something down. Incredibly stealthy. Indeed. She's making a silly face. Um, but anyway, so yeah. Uh, video podcast, are... thankfully. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, we'd have nobody watching us. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, it is a a mobile train-themed puzzle game uh, where the goal is to get, uh, in the levels themselves, as many trains across the screen to from their entrance points to their ex- exit points. And there's different levels that have different things. Some of them are just straight up. You'll have, like, four or five tracks of different colored trains, and they start coming in faster and faster, and you have to make sure that they get to the proper colored exit point without crashing some of the levels have little gimmicks like uh one of them has a station that like really rapidly spits out trains and eventually all the tracks converge down to two so you have to get all the trains through without crashing them into each other and losing uh there's one map that has like a big roundabout so if you get kind of in a jam you can put trains on the roundabout and let them go in circles but you have to be careful not to fill it up too quickly otherwise they'll crash uh there's different challenges for each of the levels so yeah i mean you can just go in and do a level and try and get as high a score as possible but uh there's various challenges like get x number of trains specifically so you can't go over you can't go under um, which means that you have to mess up a few on purpose which that one's kind of interesting uh there's like a crash mode where that you have to you, you score points by crashing the trains into each other, which normally is an instant fail if you crash trains. But sometimes you, you get points for crashing them, and every once in a while they'll throw in a normal train. And if you crash the normal train, you lose. So 
there's different little modes. It's got an overworld map, so as you complete the puzzles, you earn train tracks to build a little railroad and connect new cities to one another. And as you connect the cities, you expand your railroad and get more levels, and you can get little bonuses like cosmetic skins for your trains and things like that. Um, so there's actually a lot of little lot of variety in the game. I just I downloaded it because my kid was like, I want to play a train game on your phone because he's got like a little a couple of like really little kid like train games. One of them's like a Lego game, and I forget what the other one is. It's like train racing or something. But I was like, how about we find a game that's maybe a little bit better that we I can play or we can play together, and it's something that I'll find engaging as well. And so I just picked this at random, and it turned out to be a really good, cute little game. Um, it is free to play, so obviously there's ads and microtransactions. Uh, the ads are not very intrusive, which is nice. Um, I think that they they know that this game is going to be played by kids, um, and so they're like, yeah, well, so we they want to get make our... it, So they got to make it easy to buy all the microtransactions, right? Actually, they've got things kind of tucked away. Uh, I feel this game was designed to be like a um, not not a cash grab, not trying to trick people. Like it's really the user interface is really well designed. It's very hard to go purchase something. Um, the ads are not super intrusive. Most of them, the ads are voluntary ads, like how they do little things like watch an ad and get a booster or whatever. So most of the ads are voluntary. That way, I can just play it with my kid for ten, fifteen minutes at a time without an ad popping in and bothering us um the microtransactions are a little bit i think more expensive than they should be probably the only one that i might buy is the one that just drops all the ads um i think it's three bucks or four bucks to purchase the ad free version and then you know microtransactions are your standard 99 $199, $299, $299 etc on up uh, it's also got the the cosmetic packs that you can unlock. You can just buy them if you want them. They're just different styles for the trains. Um, and then most of the other things that you buy are train tracks for the overworld menu. Because those are the hardest things to come by. Like There's different levels of train tracks that you need in order to cross certain types of terrain. There's like basic wooden rails that are good for flat, fairly flat, grassy terrain. Then there's... Um, like concrete and steel rails that are good for like forests and mountainous terrain and there's special bridge tracks that let you cross like the English Channel for example because it's it's set in Europe um so it, there's like an upgrade system it's like trade in 5 of 1 to get the one of the next level but that would be horrendously tedious you get boxes <laughs> pretty frequently too as you go through um each box costs like five coins more than the last box, but ah. you get so many challenges and and each time you unlock a new town, its missions and everything are worth more. So, so far I haven't felt that be an issue. I'm sure eventually it will be. Uh, but I've played the game for with my kid for probably a couple of hours this past week, and then by myself I've played it for another hour or two outside of that. And, yeah, I just mean, we, to, uh, as a curiosity, I decided to go to my library and see, you know, how many train games I have. And I only have a couple. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's my job to do all the train stuff. I mean, I have uh, 
Final Station, uh, Factorio, of course. Uh, Ticket to Ride, and that's about it. Yeah, I have a lot of train games. I can't imagine why. Oh, I have Cities in Motion. Technically, that's a train game. Yeah. Yeah. An A train. I also got Pain Train! (laughs) Yeah, Um, that game doesn't look very good. (laughs) So, yeah, this is a fun, cute little game um you can play it for five minutes or you can play it for you know an hour at a time it doesn't limit you that's one of the things i love about it so much there's no energy bar you can do i mean you can play as much as you want there are you know the little bonus missions are kind of on like cooldown timers but you can still just replay the levels over and over again to earn tracks to get new towns to get new levels so it's uh it's fun it's a good little game uh and it's nice to find a mobile game that feels like it was actually designed by people who weren't trying to just gouge you for every single set that you have. That's pretty rare. I mean, that could change at some point. At some point, it could be, you know, hey, you really need to spend some money to get these things. Otherwise, you're never going to unlock the rest of the So game. they watch that episode of South Park and it's like, wow, we are dicks. <laughs> I believe but, it's freemium isn't free. It's basically talking about uh, all the mobile games and how exploitative they can be. Yeah. And it's actually based around uh, the uh, creators of South Park being contacted by some of these game developers wanting to make a South Park game uh, on mobile. And yeah, basically the, uh, a South Park skin on the Simpsons game or on the Family Guy game or, you know, whatever clicker game you want to call it. Yeah. But, no, this does not feel like it's exploitative, which is nice. Yeah. Which means that I'll probably spend some money on it at some point. Throw them a few bucks for not being exploitative. Yeah, I uh, probably won't because, uh, well, I don't play enough mobile games. <laughs> I'll yeah. play one every so often just to, uh, you know, throw you off. <laughs> yeah. That's always nice to see. Okie dokie. Well, that was my short one. Here comes my long one. Uh, uh, so I get I, the, should I get the uh, playing cards out? I don't know. You might. Depends on how interested you are in this. Uh, so the other game on my list this week is Starpoint Gemini Warlords. It came out of early access, fully released this past week. Um, full disclosure, I received a review copy of this game when it went into early access about a year ago. Maybe even over a year ago. I don't exactly remember. Um, but that was because of a previous relationship I had with the developer when I was writing game or writing game reviews for leftstickdown.com. Um, so just disclosure. Anyways, um, this game is legit. One of the best of these space type games I've ever played. Um, I've compared Starpoint and Gemini 1 and 2 pretty heavily to Freelancer. And while the base game mechanics are there to, for me to make that comparison uh, for how you control your ship and things like that. So much of this game has changed. I can't really compare it to Freelancer anymore. It, in some... Nah, not really. I was going to say, in some ways it compares to EVE Online, but it doesn't. It's, no, that would be doesn't. the X-Series. Yeah, that would, that would be the X-Series. No, it doesn't. I think that this game might have carved out a little genre, or a little niche genre of its own. Um, it's got some elements of 4X strategy games. It's got some elements of RTSs. And then it's got 
all of the base elements that it's had for the last couple of iterations of the game, which I've compared to Freelancer pretty heavily. So I've never, I mean, there might be some other games out there like this that exist, but I've never played one. So the gist of the game is that you play the commander of one of the main factions in the Gemini uh, region of the universe. And there's a thing that happens that causes you to basically have to start from from scratch again and rebuild your... This is if you play the, the campaign mode. And rebuild your faction. And you have... Yeah, we elected the wrong politician. Sorry. <laughs> Actually, it's it's uh, very similar to, to Freelancer. I guess spoilers for like the first 10 minutes of the game. Um... It really, like, it pretty much copies Freelancer's thing where there's, like, these terrorists that come in and blow up all of your stuff, and... Is there a guy that uh, looks like he's smoking a metal cigarette? Not... Yeah, kind of. (gasps) They did rip off Freelancer. (laughs) It really does. The opening feels like they ripped off Freelancer. Um, Because, like, this... These terrorists come in and they blow up your station, and then they uh... show up later and blow up a bunch of your ships, and... I hope that they have uh, voice acting a lot better than Freelancer. The sections that are voice acted are better than Freelancer, but the whole game is not voice acted. Um, I mean, and, granted, uh, you know, the, they do have some uh, high quality uh, uh, voice actors in Freelancer, but the thing is that I would say 90% of Freelancer's uh, audio is, you know, uh, we are this faction. We have an interest in this space. We think you should go here to, and uh, blow this thing up. Yeah, there's not a lot of voice acting in in this game. Most of the voice acting is in the cutscenes, and then when you interact with the main story characters. Although not even all of those those interactions are fully voiced. And then anything you do outside of that, I haven't found any voice content so far. I think that was my biggest problem with Freelancer was that, you know, there was just so much content uh, or well, so much of the story, I guess I should say, that was uh, locked behind uh, just uh, uh, I'm not sure if paywalls is the proper term, but just money walls, you know you have to have this much money or this much wealth uh, in order to continue on and it forced but- you to go do the uh, randomly generated missions to go get uh, money or just get lucky and or know where to look for a certain derelict to get enough of wealth and if you don't do that you're just going to grind yeah there's some aspect of that in this game um, when it comes to leveling up your character personally but everything you do gives you experience and like doing missions and things gives you a lot more but you can level up just by going and sitting in an asteroid field which I do or because you're you Actually, I go sit in uh, junk fields because uh, they're called building materials. Building materials are the the most scarce resource that, at least at this point in the game. Yeah, I, Legos are just uh, through the roof on uh, the price now. But uh, in order to build your fleets and and all of your space stations and everything, you need shitloads of of materials. Lots of building and, blocks. And they're the most difficult thing to get right now for me. So I guess, and none of those knockoff duplex either. So I guess I should explain that aspect of the game and why I think it's so good. So um, Warlords puts you in charge of your faction, and it's got the the four X part comes in. Every bit of the map is a section of territory that can be captured. 
Some of the things that you need to capture to claim the territory are planets. Some of the things are space stations. Some of them you just have to get there and be the first one to stake a claim on them. Uh, and you do that by constructing your, your star bases. You start out with one and you get more as you progress through the campaign. And if you play the free mode, you can capture or build other star bases a lot quicker. But anyways, um, you build ships from your your main base, you create fleets, and you send those fleets out to do things. Uh, and based on the types of ships that you put into your fleet, you can make different compositions, and it's got like a general power rating, but if you send like three frigates with a power rating equal to one cruiser, more than likely they're still going to get killed by that cruiser. So fleet composition matters. So there's it's no still, still rock, paper, scissors a bit? A a little bit, but for the most part, it makes sense. Um, like, you personally, if you lead a fleet yourself, can win those types of fights. Um, multiple lower-level ships against larger-level ships. But if you just let the AI do everything, then they tend to get beaten. Equal power level, the the higher-tier ships will usually defeat multiple So auto-resolve will make you its bitch. Yeah, um, but I mean, you, the system works the same way in your favor. If you send a cruiser to go take on a fleet of three frigates, more than likely your one cruiser is going to win, even though their power levels would be roughly the same, in my example. Uh, I mean, you can still overwhelm capital ships. And in the early stages of the game, you can't build large ships, so basically you're doing, like, guerrilla hit-and-run tactics and swarms. I'll build swarms of little gunships and just send them after stuff, and it's like... I know you're going to die, but you'll either whittle it down enough that I can come in and finish it off, or you'll actually kill it, and there'll be like one one ship left, and you're getting a promotion, young man. But uh, but it, the, the thing that I like about it the most is there's no limit. Like, you have a general, uh, it's called your command capacity, and that's how many ships that you can control total. And different ships have different command capacities, so you can obviously do way more like gunships versus destroyers or cruisers or whatever. But you can just make one big fuck-off fleet and just send it around to just destroy everything. Or you can do multiple smaller fleets, and you're only limited by your maximum capacity, which you naturally rises as you capture territory. And then you can do research to rise it and do things like build space stations, which build can give you bonus additional capacity. Pylons. Yeah, you can build additional pylons. Um, so, and it's, it's just a really well done system that makes sense. And I, I don't feel like that anything that they've done in with that system in particular is bad. It's really intuitive. It's really easy to get into and figure out. Uh, it's got a slow start in the campaign. Cause like I said, it's really hard at the beginning to get the materials you need to build vessels, but there's a couple of story missions you can do that, give you a little jump start. And I didn't realize this. Like I was just hanging out like I need to build, I need to build ships. I need to build ships. And eventually like this one guy pops up and he's like, Hey, uh, I know that you're like building your fleet, but you should go do this mission and take this place and it'll help you out. It'll give you a big boost. I mean, that's the gist of what I was saying. And there was story stuff, but I think the game recognized that I was taking too long and it was like, hey, you're spinning your wheels. You should go over here and do this, which I thought was nice. I, it didn't make me. It was just like, hey, here's this thing if you want to do it. And so I went and I completed that mission. I so got a huge went and boost did the to, thing. I went and did the thing. And then I got a huge boost to my materials production. And I feel like I'm getting back on track now. Um, but the the AI also is not stupid. They're trying to take over your territory just like you're take, trying to take over theirs. 
Um, and you have allies that you can call on for help or um, kind of use as a buffer to protect you from pirates and the factions that are not your allies. But there was this one, for example, there was this one base that was really, really important to the a shipping lane in the area. And I didn't really need it. I mean, it was nice to have it, but at the stage that it was, I didn't need it. But every once in a while, um, the uh, the faction that was my enemy would go off and try and attack one of my allied factions. And every time they would, I'd send a guerrilla force, a suicide force, basically go uh, blow up or capture the, the space station that was the trading post. And then I would just abandon it. If I captured it, I would just, I would just abandon it. And... Uh, or if I destroyed it, then I would just leave the area. And then they'd come back and rebuild it. And then I'd do it again. And I whittled down their main base. Because they really needed the shipping. Like, it was... Their territory was like an, a little island that was cut off. Unless they had this space station to have control of the trade lane there. And so they were trying their hardest to defend it. And I used that tactic to whittle them down. Until I could go in and take over their main military base. But... So it's cool. You got to use tactics and strategies, and I mean, so don't... how intelligent do you feel the AI is overall? They're that's really a, that, that, that's a big problem with uh well forex games in general is that the AI tends to favor really one maybe two strategies, and then they just always stick to those, no matter how effective they may be. I feel like they're pretty intelligent because I can see different AI. Uh, factions using different tactics based on what it is that they or where it is that they are um, for example the ally that's closest to me is they're really really big um, they're like one of the main factions in the game so they favor really large fleet tactics and try and lure enemies into just straight up fights with them out in the middle of space where they can just overwhelm them uh, whereas one of the pirate factions that's close to me that controls a small amount of territory and has multiple small fleets instead of a big one will try and bait um, fleets in and then draw them towards one of their bases, which gives them a huge boost in power so that they have potentially an advantage in the fight. Um, I feel like they probe defenses. Uh, I've seen the AI come and attack from, for example, multiple angles on one of my bases or will send in a small fleet but large enough that I have to send in some of my own forces to fight it, and then they'll send in a big fleet after that. And it's like, well, fuck, they just sucked my my uh, my main fleet into a battle. And then it's like, well, do I retreat to save the ships, or do I throw more stuff at it and try and save the station, or whatever it is that they're attacking? So that's, I, that's interesting that uh, they uh, prep like that. I I feel like, and there's multiple levels that you can set to the the difficulty and the AI intelligence. I just left everything set at its base and uh, I feel like... There's a slaughter for the intelligence? Yeah. Uh, that, now that's really interesting because that the main uh, well I guess uh, screw to uh, just uh, AI in games is how much they cheat. <laughs> it. I haven't changed the settings so I don't know if there's cheating involved or if it actually changed how smart that they are and different tactics. Well, well, I, should play, I should play around with that. Well, how much they cheat and also their starting stuff because I know, uh, well, at least in the Civ series, because that's the 4X that I have the most experience with, is that at very high levels, uh, yep, the AI will start off with a good, uh, well, uh, well, it's a few units, but still a pretty good army for uh, just a yeah, turn one. 
and get a massive boost to their overall production or just across the board to try yeah. to make up for the fact that the AI is kind of dumb. I don't feel like that they're cheating because if you destroy a fleet, particularly from like a pirate fleet or one of the smaller factions, it doesn't just like pop up in a few minutes. It takes a while for that fleet to get rebuilt. Um, so I don't think that they're cheating. I think that they're bound by the same rules that I am for creation and fleet management and stuff. I mean, they might not be, but it feels like they are. So, I mean, if you bump up the difficulty slider, they might, but... Well, uh, the I'll fact to... that, the, that the difficulty slider is independent of the intelligence slider, though, that's that's really interesting. Yep, yep. There's, there's, two, there's two different ones. One for actual, like, overall... Uh, game difficulty, and then one for the um, strategy. What does it call it? Strategy difficulty. But I mean, it's basically how smart the AI is. You have a feeling that the overall difficulty one uh, is probably the the cheat dial. Yeah, and then the intelligence one is you know the actual difficulty. You know, uh, uh, the AI playing a lot smarter, so it doesn't need the cheat dial. Or yeah. at least as much. Yeah, I mean, sometimes they mess up too. It's not like they never make mistakes, but I've definitely found myself on the receiving end of more than one ambush that I wasn't expecting because usually AI doesn't do stuff like that. Or if they do, it's scripted. And then once they do it once, you can figure it out. But I've seen the enemies use uh, nebula and dust clouds to hide from scanners and pounce on one of my fleets. Or sneak That's up on really one of my space stations. Just, uh, how it uh, sounds like it's playing. That's it sounds like it's playing like a player would. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, um, which makes that portion of the game feel really solid and um, be one of the biggest draws for it to me. Uh, because the not that the normal game, the rest of the normal gameplay is bad, but it's just the same thing that they've done in the other two iterations of the game. And it, it's very freelancer-esque. You do some missions, you level up, you get a better ship, you progress the story, you do some missions, you level up, you get a better ship, you progress the story. Yeah, I was looking to see if there's multiplayer in it as it looked like it. No. it was, That sucks. There should be. Because you could do a massive faction warfare game outside of the campaign mode. Um, there's different versions of, of Stark Conditions um, that... Uh, allow you to jump in at sort of different levels of the faction play. You can start out basically how you do in the campaign mode, except there's no campaign aspect to it. You just basically conquer the galaxy to your heart's content. And then there's you can start with a pumped-up fleet, more territories, start at higher levels so you can skip all the low-level stuff if you want to. Uh, there's, what do they call it? A free roamer mode? I don't think it's called freelancer, but it's something, and you start with just a single ship. He's and, there, Trent. And, uh, you know, it's up to you if you want to actually conquer territory. You're going to have to be the one who does the, the initial bit of conquering until you can start building your own fleets. So, I mean, there's a there's a game mode, I feel like, in there for everybody. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Steam, or, uh, well, the developers uh, were giving away the previous game uh, just uh, last week, I think it was, so. Uh, I guess I should try that out to see how it feels for it to me. Green ass, yeah. uh, I have such a backlog. <laughs> yeah. They added a lot of quality of life features to this game, too, that were sorely missing from the last one. 
for example, uh, in the previous games, you had to land on a space station or a planet to save, and you could not quick save in space either, so you couldn't like cheat your way around that. But now you can just quick save anywhere. You can do a normal save game anywhere you want. The auto save system is a lot more generous than it was before. <coughs> Excuse me. It's so to. you don't have to worry as much about if something happens. Um, it's like, well, shit, now I just lost however many hours of progress, which has happened to me in Starpoint Gemini 2. Because if you're going on a lengthy mission that doesn't involve any stops to planets or stations, towards the end of it, you're going, oh, if I screw this up, I'm going to have to redo this whole thing. And it took me like an hour. So there's none of that. Um, the game, they're... Well, I'm, released... I'm going to sell this to uh, at least one person that's listening. There's already a Star Wars mod. Star Wars and a Star Trek mod. Well, I, the Star, one, Star Wars one was literally the first one I saw. Yeah. Um, and, I've checked out a few of the mods. That it looks like the Star Trek ones are split amongst uh, just like a half a dozen different mods. Yeah, that's how it was previously in Starpoint Gemini 2. So I, I don't know what's up with that. But but yeah, there's I've tried out a few of the mods. They're mostly things that smooth out the progression curve and improve your, um, what do they call them, your war chiefs. That's an interesting thing. So, I mean, you can have a fleet follow you at any time and basically just guard you. And um, that's super important early on because you have a really shitty ship. Once you start getting better ships, it becomes less and less important. Uh, still nice, though, for, like, big battles and stuff. But um, you have... Ne- uh, they're called war chiefs, and they're basically, like, squad leaders. And they have bigger, better ships for their level than they should. And they give a, a sp- certain boosts to fleets depending on what type of commander that they are. And those are nice. Those are kind of the equivalent of the uh, mercenaries you could hire in Starpoint Gemini 2. Um, and I think that you can build different ships for them. I'm not sure. They kind of have like a starter ship. And I- I've played it for like 10 hours at- since it released, and I'm not super far into the campaign. I don't feel like. Because uh, I'm only level 10. I think the max level is 50. So I'm still pretty early. But anyways, that's a nice feature that they have. Um, you can now actually just look and see what your what known prices are for commodities. So if you want to be trader a trader, that's easier to do than it was before. Yeah, that's another thing that a lot of games tend to kind of overlook is the trading aspect. Uh, though you just either if they give you the tools, they just aren't nearly as good as they need to be, or just you know they don't give them to you at all and require you to either remember or just be lucky. Yeah. Yeah, the previous Starpoint games were like that, but in this one, whenever you're looking at trade commodities, you can just, uh, whenever you've got one highlighted, you can hit known prices, and it pulls up the screen, and you can look at all the prices across the galaxy, and historic prices, and things like that, so makes it a lot easier to be a trader. And mining and things is actually a lot better and more productive in these games than before, because once you get to the, uh, at least in the campaign mode, I'm sure this is immediate in the other modes, but... Once you get to the part where you're actually in charge of everything again, whenever you go mine things, not only do you get stuff for yourself to sell, but you get uh, resources for your base. So you can uh, mine, just get generic ore for your base that is one of the resources that you need to build stuff. You can get from junk mining, you can get materials, and then there's gas pockets you can mine to give you gas. 
the game does have a few bugs though. Um, I've had it crash on me once. Uh, it does not like to be played in full screen mode. You have to go borderless window. Otherwise, if you alt tab, if you alt tab, it just freaks out. And then occasionally, for some reason, the the windows bar at the bottom would pop in through the the game window itself, and I have no idea how or why. Um, Various games, that's just a Windows 10 quark. Yeah, so it, it needs to be played in borderless windowed mode. And then the occasional bug here or there will cause missions to, uh, particularly campaign missions, to pop up. Uh, I had one mission that I failed because all of a sudden, like, I was nowhere near it, but it popped up and it was like, oh, hey, you have to go do this thing for this mission. And then it gave me a timer. And I was like, I'm sure if I was there, that would make sense and this would be enough time. But I'm halfway across the galaxy for the mission, for this mission. And I failed it. And thankfully... Extreme hard mode. Thankfully, just reloading my save, that didn't happen again. Uh, so I was fine. But Yeah, but that doesn't bode well that, you know, missions could just pop up randomly. Yeah. They've already put out several bug fixes or bug fix patches that are supposed to take care of stuff like that. Uh, in general, the game is pretty stable. Actually, it's a lot more stable compared to Starpoint Gemini 2 at this point. Um, but it's still, like I said, it crashed on me once and it's had a few freak outs where I've had to save and quit the game and reopen it to get the windows to look right. It's not too performance heavy. It's got some dips. Um, it's got a beautiful star field and nice particle effects and stuff. If you get too much going on on screen, it can even like bog down my machine. But after I turned down a couple of settings, I haven't dropped below 60 except for when the game initially loads. For some reason, it'll run at 15 or 20 frames until everything loads in. Uh, Just streaming everything in? Yeah, it, it struggles with that. But I mean, there's a lot of shit going on around you, so I cut it some slack on that. And then once the initial load is done, it's fine. You can fly across the... It, I, I think it's because it loads literally the entire galaxy, because you can fly anywhere you want with no loading screens. That's impressive. There's, and there's no loading screens when you land on a planet or a station. Um, like, there's a, a little animation, but it's not hiding a loading screen because you can just skip it. Like, you hit spacebar and it skips the animation and you're right to being landed on the station or whatever. So, the game is super, super smooth. I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I think I'm going to do a review of it for my channel. Uh, I want to play through the bulk of the campaign before I do so because there could be some weird little quirks or something that I find that how that happened in Starpoint Gemini 2 uh, I got to a point in the story I was just like fuck this <laughs> I just can't it was one of those things it's like alright now you need to grind out 20 levels to get a battleship so that you can complete this mission and I'm like I'm not spending 10 hours grinding 20 levels to get a battleship for this story mission fuck off Sheesh, even Freelancer wasn't that bad yeah Usually it was an hour, maybe two. Yeah. And that's when I just started listening to podcasts. Yeah, I listen to podcasts while I play this game. I'll just pause to do story missions because, I mean, you're not missing anything while you're flying around. I'm basically like a pirate king or a pirate queen. I played my character's female. But I'm basically a pirate queen right now because I'm building up my base. I'm constantly hanging out in the, the border territories between me and, and, well, any other faction really. Pirates like to hang out there. And capturing their ships and either pressing the ships into service if they're not too damaged or if they're uh, better like quality ships because ships come in different tiers and qualities. So 
even the same ship, you can find better versions of it. Uh, and then if they're shitty, I just send them off and have them stripped down for parts. That's basically what I do. I'm building like little roving bands of pirate fleets. It's like, all right, go fuck those guys up. So what's your animal companion? <laughs> my animal companion. Uh, actually, it's a robot. I, I got a mod that turns my first officer into a robot. I'm not sure if that's allowed for a pirate. So aren't you required by the pirate code to have an animal companion as a pirate? Uh, I'm not sure. If I am, though, if that's a thing, let me know. There are actually animals that you can buy as trade commodities, and I'll just be sure to leave one in my hull, on my cargo hold at all times and just say that's my animal companion. I mean, to be fair, you know, they are more guidelines than rules, though. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. So, overall, I'm really, really enjoying this game. Um, if we get done early enough tonight, I'm going to play it some before bed. I was playing it right before we got started. I almost was was late. I mean, I guess I was a few minutes late because I saw what time it was. I was like, my computer's been on for two days. I should do a restart before we start the podcast. And I need some water and to go to the bathroom. So that's your but excuse. It's like, it's the game that I'm constantly wanting to play right now. And here, I just uh, go shoot things in Warframe. Yeah. Mostly because I and need I some take... action uh, because of, well, Game Club. Yeah. And uh, that would be a great segue, but I have one more thing to say before we segue. I, uh, I take full credit for this game. I think I've mentioned this before, but when uh, when I got Starpoint Gemini 2 and did a really big review slash write-up of the game for the old site, uh, I put like this little thing down there, like suggestions or questions to the dev devs about things that they should implement. And it was mostly just out of like my morbid curiosity. Like it was a, um, like after the review and the recommendation for the game and everything. So anybody who didn't care like to read it wouldn't have seen it. And everything that I suggested is in this game: building space stations, fleet management, making um, mining and resource gathering more important, uh, planetary bombardment. Like everything that space I suggested monkeys. is in this game. So, I mean, that's probably, they might have used some of my ideas, but probably they were already working on this or had this going. But So that royalty my, check uh, is coming in any day now. Yeah. For my narcissism, I, I'm the, the reason this game is made. Right. Alrighty. Well, let's go from talking about a really interesting and exciting game <laughs> to talking about one that... Didn't quite live up to our expectations. Um, For this month's game club, we played Shadow of the Colossus. I'm not sure if uh, what I did could be called playing. Okay. Uh, well, Shadow of the Colossus. Uh, th- this is one of those games that people talk up in pretty much any list of the best games of all time. It's pretty much always on, I would say, the top 20, maybe 30. And that's probably lowballing it, to be perfectly honest. And I, well, no, sir, I don't like it. <laughs> okay, how much of it did you play? I only got the first two colossi down, and okay. uh, probably yeah. about an hour, hour and a half of gameplay. I mean, I was okay. able to get the first colossus pretty easily. Well, uh, yeah, well, the first well, well, pretty quick. well, as easily as you know, I could. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, and I guess se- we should. And the second one wasn't too bad. I was I, I 
kind of did it the way they didn't intend and was able to figure out an angle to shoot the uh, the sigils on the feet uh, to make the thing fall over. It was just, you know, trying to get the damn thing to actually climb on the fucking thing. Yeah, I guess we should mention, I, I suspect everyone knows what Shadow of the Colossus is, but just in case you don't, Shadow of the Colossus was a PS2 game that came out in the mid-2000s. I yeah, want to say like 2005, yeah, it was right at the end of uh, the PlayStation 2 era, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I, well, it, technically, the PlayStation 2 made it until, what, 2016? Yeah, something like that. But, you know, uh, the, the, but the before main, the PS3 came yeah, out. Yeah, the, the main uh, line uh, run for the PlayStation 2, and it was... If it wasn't the last major hit, it was one of them uh, for the console. Yeah. And, and, yeah, I, and so, I will give credit where credit is due. It definitely pushed the technology uh, way, way hard on that system. And yeah. I, I will say that even uh, today, some of the things they do in that game is impressive, particularly how much weight the Colossi have in their movement and how... They actually feel like they're these massive, massive monsters and not just, you know, a model that's been blown up. There's a certain weight yeah. to the animation and how they move that uh, that just hasn't been done since. Yeah, so in Shadow of the Colossus, you play Wander, uh, a character who basically makes a deal with the devil to revive his girlfriend. I don't know if she actually is his girlfriend, yeah, but yeah, that's... that's the thing, is that... Uh, a lot of the story is in the manual or implied or just, you know, uh, figured out from uh, the previous game in the series or technically series or, or uh, you know, Ico, which uh, it's just it's one of these uh, weird artsy games to begin with. Yeah. So, I mean, that's really the gist of the game. There's uh, little cutscenes throughout yeah, and they there is a grand total. At the story. There's a grand total of what? What is it? Sixteen uh, enemies in the game. Yeah, there's sixteen. So the only enemies in the game are, are the colossi themselves. There's uh, like these little lizard things that you can kill and eat in order to boost. I believe the lizards boost your stamina. Yeah, and then there's and uh, the fruit boosts your health. Yeah, there's fruit that boosts your health, and that's it. I will say that movement wise and how the game looks. It feels like a predecessor to pretty much, uh, I would say Breath of the Wild, actually. Just the way, uh, especially the horse moves. Yeah. It, it did, I, uh, based on just how uh, videos look of Breath of the Wild, I haven't played it yet. Mostly because I'm waiting for emulation to be a little bit more stable and to get the new computer up and running. But it has that sort of feel to it where... It sets you off in this world and, you know, tells you to go nuts. And in Shadow of the Colossus, it's, you know, go nuts in this particular direction and kill that Colossal because that's the literally the only thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah, it, killing the Colossi too, while there's different strategies you have to employ for each one, it's basically climb on this thing find the glowy weak spot, stab it with your magic sword repeatedly. Yeah, uh, well, or a, a variation of it is uh, hit the uh, minor uh, weak spot to cause it so that you can climb up on the monster, and then dangle from his ass hair for a while while it tries to shake you off. Yeah. I thought that was stupid. Most of these things have arms. Why don't they just smack me, throw me off, or, like, run into something? But they just kind of shake. Limited range of motion. 
They can't. Uh, they it, all of them are driven nuts because they can't scratch their back. I guess, but I'm not always climbing on the back of them. Yeah, true. Some of them, like there's one where you climb on his face. I think that's the the fourth colossi. You have to. He's got like a beard, and in order to climb on him, you have to climb on his beard. But you clearly can see that he moves his arm up to his beard in part of his walking animation. Because it would have made it a very short game otherwise. Granted, yeah, uh, th- these things could just squish. Granted, you. this game isn't particularly long to begin with because if you get good at the colossi, you could beat this game pretty damn quickly. Yeah, the average time on how long to beat is something like ten or twelve hours. Um. Because I looked it up because I was like, I feel like I play this game so slow. So I think we should talk about the issues that we have with this game. Because both you and I experienced controller problems. Yeah. And I'm not sure if it's the emulation, the game itself, or if mine was even worse because I used it. I had an Xbox controller. I don't have a, a, a DualShock controller at all. Yeah. Of any well, variation. Well, here, so. well, here's the thing is that I played this on the console way back. Uh, well, not way, way back, but... Uh, a few years ago. I actually own a physical copy of this game. And uh, my issues with the uh, with the emulation version of it felt very similar to what I was having with the uh, console version. So I don't think it's an emulation problem. At least with the emulator that I'm using which is the up-to-date version of uh, uh, PCSX2. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm actually using an older version of PCX2 because a couple of the games that I play run worse on the newer one. I don't know if it's like stability issue or what, but Naval Ops, both of the, or all three of the Naval Ops games run worse on the more up-to-date version, so I've got the older one for those. Yeah, well, I'm running the latest version, and it feels pretty much like the... uh a console version. Great, it is a lot smoother because you know it has a better frame rate, but it doesn't feel like it's impacting anything uh, otherwise. My biggest problem with this game was the camera, <laughs> and I'm going to ter- use the term art house camera, where the camera is too busy trying to make the game look pretty. So you know, here let's have a this long sweeping shot of the colossi as it uh, swings its club. Never mind the fact that you know you can't see where you're facing or where you're going or yeah that doesn't matter look how awesome the colossus looks oh fuck you're dead um okay reload we'll we'll try it again (laughs) yeah my my biggest problem that made this game rough for me was that i had um dead zones on the joysticks that i never could get ironed out uh so, like, you have to have some pretty delicate movements in this game. I mean, a lot of it is, like, just run forward as fast as you can and climb and, and things like that. But occasionally you need to have some delicate movements, like, especially when you're aiming the bow to try oh, to hit a weak spot oh, to make the, a colossi fall over. Anything with the bow is just murder. Now, imagine having a dead zone, which means that you can't make really fine movements and it's really jerky. That was what I was having to deal with, see, this which made wh- every fight draw out even longer. Yeah, see, this is where having the DualShock uh, really paid off for me because... Uh, th- th- okay, this is uh, going to be really weird. When I'm playing this game, I'm playing on PC, I'm using a DualShock, which is emulating a Xbox 360 controller, which is emulating a PlayStation 2 controller. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nice. Uh, but the bonus of this is because I'm using my DualShock 4, is I'm using uh, DS for Windows still, and I'm able to alter my uh, my uh, sensitivity of the controller a lot more than you can. So if I really cared about this game, which I don't, but if I did, then I could spend the time to uh, dial in the sensitivities just enough, or you know, hit some, have uh, different profiles where while I'm on the overworld and uh, going in between the bosses, which is really you know a, a very short par- part of the game, have one set of sensitivities and then have it where once I'm in a boss fight, I could switch over to a different profile and drop the sensitivity on the, well, especially the right analog stick. That's where a lot of the trouble was. Well, I mean, I could could have done something like that too, but I'm too lazy to do that. Well, I just didn't uh, care enough about the game. Yeah, ultimately my fix was just to turn the sensitivity down. Uh, or no. Would it be up or down? Everything moved slower. Yes. So... Uh, Whichever one I'm looking for that made the controller or made the movements go slower whenever I turned the joystick, uh, I still had the dead zone, but when I got out of the dead zone, it was less jerky, um, and I kind of found a happy medium between, okay, this is, I can, I still feel like I'm able to move and do things quickly enough, but at the same time, it, it cuts down on a lot of that jerky motion, so. Well, also. But, uh, I mean, I played it for, like, 10 hours, which is, you know, a little bit on the quick side, but still, like within the beatable range of time and i only got to the fifth colossi or is it the sixth one it's the bird the the flying colossi and i just could i just couldn't do it and i got so mad i was like okay well, well, the other, well the other part was that and i'm not sure if it's just you know uh, the way everything moves but it just feels like uh, all my energy is gone when i'm playing this game i'm just uh within half an hour i'm starting to yawn and feeling tired and I'm not sure if it's just the way the camera moves when it does move, because that's another thing that really just drives me absolutely bad shit, is that the camera is a physical object in this game, meaning that it could hit the terrain and uh, be impacted by the terrain. So if you get too close to a wall or to a cliff, well, the camera, who knows what it's going to do. I didn't realize that the camera would count as a physical object. Yeah. I found that frustrating, but I didn't realize that's why. Yeah, that's what it's doing. If you're near a cliffside and uh, try to rotate the camera around you, it'll bump into the cliff and then just get stuck there until it gets to a point where it, uh, on the rotation, it would come out the other side and then it would jump to that spot. Weird. Why would they do that? Why would they put the camera as a physical object? I wonder if there was some benefit to the physics in the game, because like you talked about before, the the real weight of the colossi can really be felt. And sure, part of that is definitely how they animated that. But I think a lot of it is like Camera every time they well. take a step or smash the ground next to you or whatever. I mean, the camera jumps around, but not in a way that feels fake. If that makes sense. Yeah, uh, it has um, the proper weight to it, and that's a. a lot of what uh, modern gaming is uh, having trouble with is just having the proper weight to movement, having the proper weight, especially to combat, to weapons. Uh, you see uh, things like Dark Souls that does it well, where uh, weapons could be big and slow and have impact and have that proper feel to them. But then you have just games where 
you know, uh, you have Cloud Sword and he's just uh, whacking away on someone that, uh, you know, the, uh, it acts like the sword is made out of styrofoam because he's able to move it so quickly. Right. Yeah, maybe that's why they did it. Maybe they, that was the best because it doesn't feel like it's a I, I, like a digital after effect, if that makes sense. Like if you've ever been in a something that produces like a ton of vibration, like an earthquake or there's um at, well, at our old house, we live next to a rock quarry. And whenever they would blast too, they would do too much, like the ground and everything would shake like that. And your your vision would shake because your body's shaking. And that's what it felt like to me as opposed to just like, oh, this is a digital after effect where they shake the camera. Well, one time at a hardware store, I leaned against the paint mixer. Does that count? <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess. Uh, well, I, well, I've, uh, the, well, where I live, there's a lot of mining and a lot of uh, uh, heavy tricks on the road with a uh, material. And, you know, it, there's definitely that uh, weight of movement as well. And, well, also, of course, the trains. Uh, right, yeah. So, yeah, I have experienced something like that. Granted, you know, nothing like an earthquake like the Colossal would uh, generate, but it's you know, the same basic idea. I, I just think that... I'm not sure if it's a completely tied to that or if it's just an oversight, really, that you have to remember that this is a very, very old game. So it may yeah. just be, you know, standards at the time. It, that was how it was done. Yeah. Could be. Could be. Hmm. And also, another thing is that this game originally was going to be a lot bigger than what it was. And it was yeah, a, I think, well, it was originally I was doing a little bit of research on it because you know I only played it a little bit so I need something to talk about. There was originally talk of this being an MMO. Oh, I did not see that. Although I did see that originally the uh, forty-eight pitch uh, had forty-eight yeah. colossi, and then they cut it in half. Yeah, because and of then, technology, and, and then uh, they cut it down even more because yeah they were having repeats, and that is something yeah. that I have to uh, applaud them for is that. Even though there are just a handful of uh, Colossi, well, uh, 16, but uh, they uh, have it where none of them really feel like they're repeated. Yeah. Uh, granted, uh, I mean, the, I granted, think the basic that was... mechanics are you know, still there, you know, uh, hit the weak spot. And was this the first game that, or was this the game that really introduced the idea of glowy weak spot? I don't know. I had that thought, though. I was like, is this where it all started? Is this who we have to blame? I doubt it. I doubt... Well, I don't know. Let's see if Google can help us out on that one. <laughs> Could always just go um, to TV tropes. Yeah. But now, I before I do that, I want to just do a Google search for history of the glowy weak spot and see what it tells me. Let's see. Oh, it just pulls up the TV tropes page. <laughs> or that's like the first, first one. Yeah, I'm just... Uh, See if it's yeah. well. Let's just go to video games. Uh, sh Shadow of the Colossus. Uh, all possesses a glowing sigil on their flesh that can only be revealed by sunlight, reflected off the hero's magic sword. Hitting the spot is the only way to inflict any injury to them. Somewhere between half and ninety percent of the fight, depending on the boss, is exposing or getting there. So they don't call it the. You know, the originator, but I do think it's you know, probably the first game that a lot of people played that had the glowy weak spot. Yeah. 
I'm looking for one that I know, like, oh, Metroid. The original Metroid, yeah. I feel like, though, like, the the modern incarnation of Hit the Glowy Weak Spot has got to come from this. I mean, I feel like the Dead Space series wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Shadow of the Colossus. <laughs> that whole game is Hit the Glowy Weak Spot, even more so than Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah, but hopefully it's a little bit more interesting. Uh, maybe it's just the fact that the... Because they have it where this is essentially a boss rush game. Uh, let's just call it what it is. It's essentially a boss rush puzzle game or puzzle platformer almost because a lot of it is just getting up to that spot or actually that's all what it is. Yeah. When, once you and having only it. having only done the first two Colossi, unless you've played it more in the past because you did you said you owned it, but. I mean, the first two are pretty easy to get onto. You're in nice flat planes. Yeah, but you hit I did the one weak spot that video- makes it- I did watch some videos of the uh, later Colossi. The third Colossi is fucking stupid. With a messy con- controller, it took me so long to beat him because you have to get him in the right spot so that he's he's got like this giant sword that's like a building or something, mm-hmm. and he slams it into the ground, and you have to have it at the right spot where that it gets stuck. Then you have to run up the sword. Without falling off, and he tries to shake you off, you have to stay on. And he's so tall. If you fall off the top, which is obviously the weak spot, the main one is on the top of his head. Of course. If you fall off, you die. Pretty much. That one was really stupid hard. And then so was the bird. And the eel boss is before the bird. You gotta go underwater. That was difficult, too. But some of them have things you have to trigger, or parts of the level you have to use to get them to to get to a point where that you can climb on top of them. So that turns into more puzzle than just, okay, now's the port where I can jump on him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I made the right move of not playing further <laughs> because I was already getting frustrated with the camera. Well, I was, and that, I and really... also there was a couple times that it, my character wouldn't grab on when it looked like, you know, there should be a, you know, a way to grab on. It was, you know, the, the artificial, well, you're not grabbing the ass hair, so you can't climb on. Yeah. Normally, I would have quit this long ago, and I'm not. I'm trying. I've been thinking about what it is that kept me playing for so long. I mean, I still didn't beat it. Like I said, eventually the controller issues beat me. But I mean, I really stuck at it for a long time. I'm trying to figure it out what exactly it is that kept me in for so long. I think. Hmm. I think it's a combination of the design of the Colossi, because like you said, they were all different. There was no repeats. They all felt And even unique. to this point, or even uh, to this day, technically, uh, if you could get past the graphical problem, or uh, not even problems, but you know, the graphical fidelity, uh, technically, it is still an impressive game. I was going to say, it's. It, I still thought that it was, it was pretty. Um, you know, it's dated, that's for sure. Yeah. But I still thought that it looked good, and I was impressed at how good it looked. Because, you know, I'm thinking along those lines, like, man, they made this a decade ago. Mm -hmm. And the other PS2 games that I emulate, most of them look like hot garbage. Well, this is essentially an art art house game, though. They they cared more about making the game look pretty than making it play well. Yeah. Don't don't get me wrong, it it is playable, but... It's you. You could definitely tell where the focus of the game was. 
the fact that the dodge roll is, you know, two buttons that if you hit them not perfectly at the same time, half the time you're not dodge rolling. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about the soundtrack? Uh, maybe that was part of what was putting me to sleep because it is a very, uh, well, uh, in the overworld, there's not a lot of music, if I recall correctly. No, there's not. And so it's Most just, of the music is, uh, is when you're fighting yeah, the which, Colossi. Which is very punctuated, I think is the best way to put it. <laughs> you know, it's very attention-grabbing. But I think I, I wasn't paying too much attention to the music because by that point I was trying to fight the camera into you know, a, a position of actually seeing what the hell the Colossi was doing. Yeah. Or trying to actually shoot the bow properly. Yeah. I I like the soundtrack, but found it <laughs> too similar. I mean, there are some very different songs in the game, don't get me wrong, but many of the Colossi songs sound alike. Um, and I feel like that the type of game that this is and what they were going for, they should have gotten a much more different soundtrack. And perhaps some of the later Colossi have very different soundtrack or different music scores to go with them. So I'm not going to rag on this point too much because I didn't finish the game. But the soundtrack, it was really nice at first. And then I was like, this isn't repetitive, but it's like the same. If that makes sense. But Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that's, well, another problem I have. It's just that there's, and until you actually put yourself into danger, there's no real sense of danger there's no excitement there it's just yeah you know, going across that empty field yeah there's also no sense of urgency yeah. i felt like because of that too it's like well i mean yeah i'm gonna go fuck uh, off over here for a while yeah i'm gonna go hang out and explore over here for a little bit and you or at least to me i felt like kind of a monster even attacking these colossal because the ones i uh, uh killed didn't really mess with me until I messed nope. with them. There's only a couple that are aggressive. Um, most of them just don't care until you attack them. Yeah, until you start climbing on their ass hair. Yeah. But, I mean, that's kind of the point of the game. I mean, I went ahead and, and watched the final cutscene and read about the end of the game. And I said make a deal with the devil. Uh, these colossi, the end of the story... Um, once you've killed all the Colossi, you you come back to the, the temple. And so every time you kill a Colossi, like these black string things come out of it and get absorbed into your body. And that's a piece yeah, of don't the breathe devil's... That. Yeah, that's a piece of like the devil's soul or his body or his power, something like that. And once you've killed all 16 Colossi and come back to the temple, um, then he steals all of the power and basically takes over your body. And these people show up who are like guardians of the temple and they've been chasing you, trying to stop you. And um, basically they perform a little ritual that causes the temple to collapse and trap uh, the the devil inside. Um, but some of his power like comes out and he's reborn as Ico, which is what makes this in the in the same series and basically a prequel to the game Ico. Yeah. And the girl who's with Ico during the game is, I. it's implied that this girl, what's her name? 
Mono? Mona? Momo? Mo- Mono? Yeah. Uh, it's implied that that's this girl and that she raises Iko. So, um, you are kind of, I mean, you're right. You are kind of the, the bad guy, the monster in all of this. Because basically you're like, damn the consequences. I want you to bring bring this girl back because for reasons that we'll never learn, I love her. Yeah, maybe if they had some sort of uh, story to this, you know, uh, some sort of setup to, you know, why is this dead girl important? Yeah, so... I, I just didn't feel any sort of emotional attachment to the story at all. And maybe that's also part of the problem for me is that I, I felt no attachment. I felt uh, just annoyance with the camera. I, I felt boredom with the, most of the gameplay when I, wa- yeah. when I wasn't getting annoyed. So all of those things said, uh, well, before I move on, do you have any last thing you want to add? Because I, I want to ask a question. I will say that uh, the horse's uh, controls, it felt like I was actually on a horse. That, that was done really well. Granted, at times the horse was a little infuriating whenever you're, uh, it, it kind of screwed up on its pathfinder because it seems like it's some sort of combination of player input with uh, on rails with how uh, the uh, with some sort of AI uh, pathfinding. Yeah. And there was a couple times that, you know, the horse would just get confused. But overall, I think it handled pretty well. And it had, once again, it, the horse had the proper weight to it that it didn't feel like uh, I was on a horse-shaped motorcycle. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get that. I didn't, I just found it kind of annoying, but it was mostly, again... I, the horse ri- back riding suffered from that dead zone too because the horse was twitchy a little bit unruly okay so this game at, like we said at the beginning is revered as like one of the best of all time a, a classic an absolute classic and I just don't see it I don't feel it like the comment that I've made to you a couple of times is I feel like this is the Beatles of video games yeah, it was pretty good in its time, and it definitely influenced a lot of things going forward. But looking back on it, there's a lot of it that's just not that great, and it's way too overrated. Maybe it's just the fact that we're maybe it's just the fact that we're looking back at it instead of looking at it at its time frame. Because even uh, uh, to this day, there's really been nothing quite like it. There's uh, been a couple boss rush games, but they've never had the scale of Shadow of the Colossus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can see that uh, it's uh, still a very unique game. Yeah, I was gonna say it is very unique, which is pretty rare in in video games because once something typically when something comes out and is met with this kind of praise that Shadow of the Colossus was met with, everything else is like, oh man, that's where I gotta go. I gotta. I gotta copy that. I gotta make that. And in some senses, that's good. That's how genres are born and things like that. But that does present, keep it, or keep there from being, you know, sort of gems, you know, these big points we can all point to and say, like, yes, this is, this is our, um, shit, I just forgot the name of the movie that I was gonna say. <laughs> um, Susan Kane? Fuck. Yeah, sure, that's one. That wasn't the one I was going for, but Citizen Kane is one of those movies. Um, Which Citizen Kane yeah. also, uh, yeah, some people think are highly, is highly overrated, but then again, yeah, the plot twist has been spoiled for decades. 
Yeah. But, you know, we can point at that and say, this is uh, our Citizen Kane. This is our our Picasso, our Mona Lisa. Like, there are very few things, games that we have that we can point to and say, this is the equivalent in this in this medium of what that is. Because of the unique way that, that video games are. I mean, yeah, there's a, you know, a million copies of movies, too, but the copies rarely water down the original. And in video games, that happens all the time. The copies water down and overtake the original. Maybe that's... I, I feel like I'm kind of making the case for that. Well, also, Even though uh, the gameplay... Well, well, there's also the point where... Uh, a, well, even a movie that came out 10 years ago doesn't feel as dated as a game that came out 10 years ago. Just because of how quickly uh, the advancement of technology is going on. Yeah, I mean... Big examples for that in the movie industry would be like Jurassic Park. That movie came out in, what was it, 93? But the CGI in that movie holds up to this day. Whereas there's, you know, in the film industry, even there's a lot of movies that that hasn't happened with. But no game that was made in 1993 holds up to today in terms of graphical capability. And it, in any ways, in many ways, honestly, in other capabilities, because gameplay, you know, you have no interaction with the movie other than watching it. Well, it might make you feel some things, but, you know, you put in your two hours, you're done. Well, just look at how I interacted with Halo. Yeah. I mean, it's the same basic idea. A, a game that was a milestone for the first-person shooter genre and uh, spun off a lot of... Well, uh, imitators, but also basic things of the genre. The uh, two-weapon system, uh, regenerating health. But I absolutely hated it because I'm looking back at it from a decade and a half later. And because it was the originator of a lot of things that has been refined over that time, it looks very rough. Yeah. And that, that rarely happens in other mediums. I mean, I can think of a few films that it's happened to, but I can think of a lot more games than films. And I mean, I'm not, I'm a bigger gamer than I am a film buff, but I'm, I consider myself to be a pretty good film buff. I mean, you know, I forgot Citizen Kane earlier. And, you know, shame on me, but. Shame! Shun the non-believer! <laughs> uh, I am, I, I do historically have a really bad memory whenever I need something on cue, so. Okay, I think that that we just kind of answered my I kind of, yeah we answered my question because you're right. Um, looking at it for what it is is an art piece. This game sticks out way more than a lot of games that I can think of, and for its time, its controls were probably fine because the controls have come a long way in the last ten twelve years. Yeah. And controller functionality, even just due to improvements in technology. I mean, the DualShock Two was a fine controller, but it ain't you know an Xbox 360 or an Xbox One controller. Or, or just look at it's the DualShock Four yeah, controller. Yeah, just look at the advancements over the uh, from DualShock Two to Three to Four. Uh, how they've uh, made it a lot more precise, and that's not even yeah. uh, throwing in you know innovations that they've had like with the uh, touchpad on it. Yeah, so... And plus I also have extra things where I could program uh, macros to make it so that that dodge roll could have been just, you know, uh, be uh, 
I don't know, clicking the left uh, thumb tr- uh, thumbstick. I'm not sure if there was a control on that or not. I can't recall. But, you know, something like that. Where I could have made things a lot simpler if I was motivated to. And I just wasn't. Yeah. So, I think, I feel like we're we're drawing to a close yeah, on this I one. Do you have so. any uh, final comments you'd like to add before... Uh, Maybe this was a mistake on uh, our first emulation title uh, because we got no feedback and uh, no uh, letters. Uh, maybe we should have picked something a little bit more mainstream or more popular because I do think Shadow of the Colossus is a very divisive title as well because you get people like me that are more about game mechanics than art. I honestly have never heard anyone have the opinions that we've had on this game. I'm sure that they're <laughs> out there. But every I, I think that the people like you or me wouldn't touch this game. Like, even me. I, I'm big on story game stories, but this game doesn't have very much explicit story. And so there's this, not that this, to draw me in. This game has a Dark Souls-style story where it's implied. It's uh, stuff that you uh, look into yourself. It's not given to you in a cutscene, for the most right. part. And I I will do that. I will go the implicit route, but I need something to draw me in. And this game doesn't have anything to draw me in. It doesn't have an explicit story. While I'm not as frustrated at the general lack of mechanical, I don't know, stability or mechanical, whatever you want to call it, as you are, um, I had my own issues that were enough to make me quit playing because it got too frustrating. And I'm not blaming that entirely on the game. I think the biggest problem is that I had an Xbox One controller. And it just, my, the emulator and everything just went, eh, I don't, yep, this, yep, it's just not going to work with this one. So, I'm not blaming that entirely on the game, but I think it is some of the game's fault, because you had problems with that too, so. Yeah, and, and it felt very close to what the console version uh, felt to me. Yeah. So, I guess my last question is, would you recommend people going back and playing this game? Oh, that's a tough one, because... If someone wants to play something that makes you feel like you are a very tiny speck against a a giant monster, this does that excellently. But if you want something that plays well, well, you are so out of luck. I don't think that you should emulate this. I think that if you own an original copy for PS2, or you can buy it from for the PS3, I don't know if you can buy it for the PS4 from the store playstation store but if you can get it that way and play the sort of i guess official version um i think that this would be okay to play through to experience it but if you don't have that capacity i think you should stay away from emulation and at best if you want to experience it honestly just watch a youtube full play you're not missing much because the gameplay is so bad so I think I, I feel like say, this game. I will say that the gameplay is very rough, but I, I I think you would be lacking some if you just watch it played because it does lack the uh, interactivity and the puzzle solving aspect of it. Because a lot of people that played on YouTube, uh, especially the ones that are going to have a lot of views that you'll find easily, will be the ones that know how to beat the game. Yeah, and uh, a lot of it is figuring out. Okay, well, okay, where's the glowy spot? And, and yeah. then trying to get to the glowy spot. Yeah, that's fair. That's a fair point. 
that I didn't think of. I wonder. Uh, hang on, I need to check something. What is the world record speed run for this? I think it's like six or seven hours. Because I looked that stuff up. I don't remember exactly, but... Let's see. Shadow of the Colossus speedrun record. One hour, seven minutes is on this one. For, uh, oh. So you were slightly off. I wonder if there's like an exploitable glitch or something. Oh, there's several exploitable things. Like the uh, Colossus that you were having trouble with. Uh, yeah. The one with the giant fuck-off sword. There, yeah. Uh, I, that's one that I saw uh, people talking about was that if you uh, jump it, uh, jump just right when he's uh, grabbing the sword, you could skip that entire segment and land right on his head. Oh. Nice. Let's see. Speedrun demos Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah, here's one that's an hour and a half. I mean, uh, yeah. It's quite amazing, the speedrun community. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Shadow of the Colossus speedrun uh, leaderboard. Um, looks like the record right now, at least on this leaderboard, is 1 hour, 28 minutes, and 14 seconds. How do they get through the travel time so fast? I mean, it's not like traveling from the, the temple to the Colossi doesn't take tons of time, but... Uh, Although I guess glitches or exploits or whatever to run faster or glitch through segments of the level or whatever. Well, I know this, uh, the time attack on some of the Colossi is just a couple minutes. Yeah. I would be inter- uh, something to watch, I guess, is one of the speedruns. And this leaderboard looks pretty active. Uh, the last uh, update on it was a month ago for the third place uh, holder which is an hour 31 minutes and 59 seconds uh, the, uh, the difference between first place and second place is four seconds damn I we've talked about speedrunning a couple of times I find speedrunners fascinating and amazing but I would never want to do that because to me that uh, would sound miserable yeah uh, to do speedrunning you have to absolutely master a game to the point where well, some speedrunners actually play their games blindfolded. Literally. That's insane. It's, it's a fascinating thing. I would never want to do it, but I just love watching uh, awesome games done quickly because there's just some amazing stuff that people could do. And yeah. uh, there's some speedrunners uh, on Twitch that You'll see them practicing their runs where they'll go through like the first a few levels of Super Mario Brothers, for example, and just playing it over and over again, trying to master every single little jump. And some of these uh, tricks are frames, not uh, measured in seconds, but individual frames or individual pixels of a, of a frame. It's just absolutely insane and fascinating. Yeah. Okie dokie. I think well, we are done here. Yep, I think that wraps us on Shadow of the Colossus. So it's time to announce the next Game Club game. And I hope you have your permission slips filled because we are going on another field trip. <laughs> 
This yep, time the a- game. around, we are going to play Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. And let's have the over-under for that number of times Jared cries. I'm setting the number at three. And I'm probably going low. Mm, we'll see. There, I mean, I will cry once, maybe twice at many I've games played that this, I play. I played this game. Okay. I'm and I'm lowballing at three. All right. We'll see. We'll see. Um, I've never played it, so I'm not going to take a guess. But I do know that this game can can go for the feels. So I'm definitely expecting two cries. Two major cries. Yeah, this is but, also a very short game. This is an afternoon game. Yeah, which we kind of picked on purpose. We've done several long games. Um, and even though you didn't play Shadow of the Colossus for very long, I still spent a lot more time on it. Looking back, I wish that I hadn't spent on it. Um, Sorry. But... Uh, hey, look at it this way. This is payback for uh, Crimson Skies. No, that's perfectly fair. So we, uh, we picked a short game. We were going to do another emulated title, but uh, we had issues with the emulators for the titles. So Yeah, I'm pretty sure that the uh, ground wasn't supposed to disco like that. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, we'll, we'll, we'll tease this is that it was a flight simulator. And I wouldn't call it a flight ca- simulator. Well, uh, ar- ar- well arcade but um, uh, it's just more uh, teasing Kyle at this point. Yeah. Yeah. We might come back around and try another one like that at some point. But for now, we're doing Brothers. We'll figure out the next one when, when the time comes. Yeah, and, we're gonna have to... yeah and in between uh, now and when the next uh, game comes up, we also have the Steam Summer Sale. So probably mid-June, uh, we'll look at the next several months and put out a uh, list of games to look at. Yeah. Also, we should act- finally get together and put together a list of games that that we intend to play at some point so that people can look for them cheaply at the summer sale. Yeah, that and would you be and I as well. We should do that. We've talked about doing that a couple of times and we missed both last summer and winter sale. And the spring and the autumn sales are not quite as good usually, so we didn't bother for those. But, yeah, that's that. Uh, and I need a break, even though we've only been recording for, what, an hour and a half hour or 40 so. minutes on the timer from the beginning of the episode yeah we've been on this skype call for like two hours and well 217 you just 55. need to get away from me don't you i need to go to the bathroom real bad i have to go slay my own colossus so let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll do the news and we're back and moving on to our first news topic Far Cry 5 has an interesting controversy. So, last week, or was it two weeks ago that Far Cry 5 was announced? Uh, last week uh, was when all the trailers came out, and uh, before... Right. Uh, uh, the week before, the uh, the logo of it came out, and it shot immediately to the top of r slash games. Yeah. Everyone thought it was going to be a western. Yeah. Hugely disappointed. Yeah. So... I'm going to describe what the trailers for Far Cry 5 show, in case you haven't seen them. And, obviously, Rage, you know. But, dear listener, see if you can figure out what the controversy is about. So, the trailers for Far Cry 5 show a very sort of backwards, backwater town. 
in the Triggered. mountains of Montana. Triggered. So we're in the United States. Uh, there's a whole lot of religious subtext. Triggered. And a cult. Triggered. That has taken over a small town. Still triggered. And you come in to try and save the town and kill the cult leaders who all happen to be white, gun-toting, redneck Americans. So can you tell me what the controversy is? Not enough black people. <laughs> Though actually, I'm not joking. That's one of the controversies. I have seen that, yes. But no, the biggest thing is that, oh my gosh, you're we're killing American Christian people and we can't have this. And honestly, uh, the uh, religious uh, outrage is kind of the low-hanging fruit on this because, oh, this is one of those games that seems to be triggering both the left and the right extremes uh, Mm -hmm. for different reasons. Uh, The right are are upset because they feel like it reflects them, which they're not incorrect in that. Nope, it definitely reflects them. I know people who would fit into this uh, stereotype or this caricature or whatever you want to call it. Like, I know people that fit this description. And then there's people on the left that are upset that there's no black people. (laughs) But then at the same time, if there were, they'd be upset that you'd be killing them. Because they were upset in the previous Far Cry games. It's a it's the Kobayashi Maru. There is no winning situation for this, except uh, well, I guess not launching the game would be a win either. <laughs> and I, I'm not advocating to not do that. I'm actually really happy to see this game do some different things. Yeah, I um, I mean, I don't I, I don't have faith that Far Cry Five will be a good game because Far Cry Four wasn't a great game and Far Cry Three was only okay. Uh, but I don't really care about that. I I like the fact that they're tackling some different subject matter and trying to kind of peel back the this like taboo that we can't go after white America. Well, what's kind of funny is uh, one of the articles uh, that we will be linking to in the show notes uh, talked about how the uh, uh, the world has changed quite a bit in the four year development cycle of this game, and that is very very true. Because, mm-hmm. especially on the political side of things, uh, it's become a lot more divisive between the left and the right than it has really in my lifetime. How yeah. it, the right has become almost cult-like in some respects. And they could easily see themselves reflected in this because of it. And I definitely understand uh, why they're upset about it. And then the left, well, the extreme left, they they get pissed about everything. I mean, let's be perfectly honest. Yeah, that uh, stereotypical SJW crowd. Oh my gosh, I'm so triggered by this. Uh, That's a microaggression. That... That I'm a therapist, and I don't like the idea of microaggressions. Like, there are certain concepts that I think just go too far, and even if they're a true thing, they're not helpful. Microaggressions is one of those things. But I digress. Well, it must absolutely drive you nuts uh, seeing the SJW crowd uh, twist so many things out of your toolkit into just perversions of them. 
It does. It bothers me, but you know, you just kind of get used to it. No, to the on. to the point that you see uh, SJW groups uh, try to get segregation back because it creates a safe space for them. Uh huh. That's that's really frustrating. Because the idea of safe spaces in therapy is not. It's the therapy what, room. Yeah, the therapy room. Like a safe space is a place where that you can go to be open and honest and deal with your issues and not face judgment. Not a place where that you can go in public and not have to worry about and force, criticism and force or, out everyone that disagrees with you. Right. Because that is segregation, not a safe space. But uh, the the controversy around this, well, there's a lot of controversy, mostly because it is a AAA game uh, tackling even a remotely controversial subject. It causes a lot of controversy these days. But there is really, I would say, three distinct groups. There's the group that feels like this is being reflected of them. There's the group that's pretty much always outraged. And then there's the group that just really just doesn't give a shit. And I think I fall into the third one uh, and just watching the uh, fire. <laughs> I I feel like there's a fourth group and I'm in the fourth group, which is people who are really excited to see this and really hope that, that Ubisoft doesn't back down. Because, you know, we're going to discuss other mediums again. Like film and books and art and photography, which I guess technically is art, but you know where I'm, what I'm getting at. All tackle subject matter like this. Nothing is off limits or taboo to them. And yeah, sure, there can be, there are things that come out that are controversial, but nobody, or there's not this kind of visceral response to it well, most of the time. Well, but every there, time a video a game that. comes, every time a video game comes near a touchy subject, there's a huge outcry, and. I mean, these things exist. Domestic United States homegrown white terrorism exists. It's a thing. And there are cults here. Well, it's not like, and things uh, like in, that, that uh, this bill. What was it? Oregon, uh, a militia group uh, uh, set up a camp in a national park? I'm, yeah, I think. I'm pretty sure I have the right state, but you know, this has happened within the last two years, three years. Yeah. As a matter of fact, that may be <laughs> one of the. Uh, story points that they uh, yeah, or one of the inspirations for this story yeah As a matter of fact if I Maybe. recall correctly they were calling out for donations and 4chan was sending them uh, just barrels of lube and dildos <laughs> <laughs> yeah I remember that buying like the 55 gallon drums of lube or whatever off of Amazon and sending it to them yeah because they were calling out uh, for donations of snacks because they were running out of food <laughs> Uh, which you know, you would think a militia group would be more prepared. You would think. Typically, these heartland prepper sort of people are. Uh, but I think the reason why you see this outcrop. Well, one, I think a lot of it is the a group that is upset about literally everything. To borrow a line from Anita Sarkeesian, everything is a. Uh, racist, everything is homophobic, and they have to point it all out. Because to them, it literally is. And this is a group that doesn't play video games, but being outraged about video games funds their Patreons. 
Not that we mm-hmm. could really talk about funding Patreons. <laughs> yeah, but we don't get outraged about everything. We get outraged about games that suck. Not little trite controversies. Things that shouldn't be controversies. <laughs> I think another big issue, too, is it's like this is one of the few games that really points the finger at America and says, hey, you have some, some shitty stuff going on here, too. It's not just the Nazis from yeah, Germany. Especially and... because this is a foreign developer. Yeah. This is the Montreal group of uh, Ubisoft, isn't it? Yeah, I believe so. So, yeah, it's uh, our uh, <laughs> neighbors in the north saying, you know, they're all kind of fucked up. Yeah. And they're not incorrect there. No, they're not. I just, I'm not bothered by this. Like, I fully accept that well, America well, has put, lots of problems. Well, let's put it this way. I've watched the trailer, and it's uh, and what bothered me most was... Oh, this is going to cause so much controversy. Yeah, as soon as I saw the image for it, not even the trailer, just the image. Yeah, yeah, The Last Supper. Yeah, The Last Supper. I was like, this is going to cause problems. I can't wait to talk about this on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, do do you think we're going to be climbing church steeples? I hope so. I, I I mean, this is a Ubisoft game. It would be the one time climbing towers would be okay. Uh, as long as I can ring the bell, no, 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 no. ring the church bell. No, no. no. What you, what you got to do is you got to climb the church steeple and then snap the cross off the top, <laughs> and then bang the bell with that. Yeah, sounds great. But yeah, I just I'm I really hope Ubisoft doesn't back down from this. I, I they should have to. I think that we need more games that point the finger at America, and it's not just because of the Trump administration and the current political environment. Just like that's what art should do. It should uh, reflect art, art, the art, issues with culture. And American culture rarely gets the finger pointed at it because I mean it's America. Uh, the dominant and, culture in a lot of media. Yeah, yeah. And so nobody points the finger at them very often. It's one of those like I think anyways, this is just my opinion. I think that it's you know, you don't bite the hand that feeds you. But the market is changing. The world environment is changing. And it was even before Trump came along and kind of pushed America down a bit. Um, But it was all changing anyways before then. And I think this is just the natural progression of that market change. And, you know, there was a different world when the game entered development. And now just the issues that they were tackling have been thrust a lot more into the limelight. Well, one thing about the current political environment. should be able to make you feel uncomfortable and that's something that video games is kind of skirted around you still get yeah. you get things like that in indie games like papers please where you feel uncomfortable about some of the choices you have to make uh mm-hmm. this war of mine that's another good example of that you know you feel uncomfortable about you know really just stealing supplies from other people and essentially if you're not killing them outright condemning them to death yeah but you don't really see that in AAA gaming. And I think a reason for that is that there's still this mentality in mass media where games are toys. Yeah. I mean, just look at the uh, controversy with Mass Effect and uh, the sex scenes in it. The, uh, the, the full frontal nudity. Uh, it's not full frontal nudity in uh, Mass Effect, but it sells headlines. It uh, gets people to uh, watch. It gets their attention. Yeah, and it's the same thing here, where it's 
just people being outraged for some of it for the sake of being outraged too. You know, that's how they get their, that's how they pay their paychecks. That's, you know, that, that's their paycheck is, you know, getting on Twitter and talking about, uh, how sexist it, it is that, uh, the trailer was showing a woman being drowned or being baptized. But, you know, you know, let's be, let's face it. She's likely being killed in that because that's a very rough baptism. <laughs> and it's just that mentality of, well, this shouldn't be in a game because it's a toy. It's for children. No, video games is a medium for stories. It's like saying that all animation has to be for toddlers. It has to be for kids. It doesn't. Yeah, I mean, gaming's primary demographic, <clears throat> excuse me, at this point are adults because all the kids that grew up playing games are now playing games as adults. And there's way more of them than there are kids today playing. And that trend is likely to continue. Yeah, but once again, you know, it's just we've held on to this old mentality and just never gotten, uh, never been able to shake it. And yeah, I'm. I think it's going to have to die out with the generation. Yeah, with the older generation, because yeah, that's the ones that are looking at video games and saying, "Well, this is a waste of time." Yeah, you're just uh, goofing around. This can't uh, tell a good story. Yep, I agree. Just like with a lot of things that are going to have to, the older generation is going to have to die out before we can do anything about it. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm going to have to do some serious editing on my end. I had a, I'm muted, but I had a coughing fit while you were talking. <laughs> my, uh, my gelato, I think, aggravated my throat, made me cough. You had a little southern cotton in your throat? I did. Wait, who's gelato? <laughs> wouldn't you like to know um uh, but, but okay is there any other aspects of this that you want to talk about at this point no um i mean we've got several news articles and things that explain the situation and then boogie's video that he put out talking about the controversy for people to go look at if they want a more detailed picture but i mean i got all my thoughts out the gist of what i wanted to say was you know i hope that ubisoft doesn't turn back because I think that this is the right thing to do. Well, I think, uh, well, especially Ubisoft Montreal, is that they're detached enough from the American populace that you know, they could uh, hold up that mirror to us and not have to fear being, uh, well, uh, called out too much because, you know, they're outside. And that's, pr yeah. and that's probably the best way to do it. I'm, I feel weird uh, being supportive of Ubisoft. This feels weird to me. <laughs> hey, you know, companies can do good things just like they can do bad things. And then they, re they just then, tend then, to then do bad things. They released a game in a completely broken mess. Yeah, I will say that uh, created. Yo, know, this is a trailer, so uh, who knows how the game uh, will look in the end? But it does look like it is rather graphically uh, impressive. Uh, at least the trailer. Yeah. And now, does look now, pretty good. now the question is, yo, how does the final game go to look? Because, yeah. One of the comments on the trailer video, and I mean, I'm sure it's buried by this point, but it was like something like, hmm, that game's pretty good. Or that game looks pretty good. And then it's like from Ubisoft. Yeah, it'd be a shame if it got a graphical downgrade, huh? Oh, boy. You better pre-order now. <laughs> yeah, because I'll stop the graphical downgrade. 
I know, but I just I thought that was humorous. Okay, well, let's move it on to our next news topic, uh, which I think we're about to get to rapid-fire mode. Uh, our next topic is Final Fantasy VII Remake and Kingdom Hearts 3 will be launching, quote, in the next three years or so, end quote. <laughs> yeah, I added this because, wow. What, what the yeah. hell is going on with Square Enix? Who knows? Uh, okay, uh, for the sake of... Uh, well, uh, just the time frame here. Final Fantasy VII Remake was announced in 2015? Mm-hmm. Two years ago at this point? It was announced at E3, so pretty much exactly two years ago now. Uh, yeah, I'll, I would say a couple weeks off, but close enough. <laughs> yeah. So, a potential five years. I, I would say four years. Uh, yeah, put it right in the middle of that window. Well, uh, well, well, Kingdom Hearts 3 is worse than that, because well, 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 it was announced in 2013. Well, well, well I would say uh, Final Fantasy 7 is worse overall, because episodic. Yeah, that's true. So this is a, even just all of Final Fantasy 7 remake. This is the first episode of the Final Fantasy uh, uh, remake, and who knows what the development time is going to be on the other parts of it. So is it going to be, okay... You get Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 1 on the PlayStation 4. You get uh, the Part 2 on the PlayStation 7. And you get Part 3... Um, oh, shit, we just pulled a valve. <laughs> it's just... Part 3 never. Yeah, Square Enix. What the hell is going on with them? Don't know, man. Probably internal issues, I'd suspect. Well, didn't they also uh, uh, just shut down the uh, the Hitman series and uh, handed it off to uh, the developer that, that's actually working on that? Uh, yeah, just, they did. Uh, just a few weeks ago? That, 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 yeah, that didn't make the talking, unfortunately, but because there wasn't a lot to talk about on that. That was just more, you know, more uh, Square Enix uh, stupidness, and we had stuff to actually talk about that time around. Yeah, they just they handed, handed it off. Supposedly, they're not going to be doing any more in-house work on it. And they also uh, shut down uh, uh, Deus Ex uh, Human... uh, uh, Well, Mankind Divided. Uh, They uh, canceled the sequel to that. And the thing is that... uh, The the infuriating thing on that one is that they cut off the ending to add it to... Or to flesh it out, supposedly, for the third game of the series. And now you're not getting that, so you're... (laughs) You have dangling plot threads in the second one. Yep. I actually took it off my wish list. They must be making a fuck ton of money off of Final Fantasy fourteen. The the MMO. Uh, or, they have to be. Yeah, they're either that or you know, uh, uh, they they have a tape of someone doing something, <laughs> but maybe they have Trump's P tape. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, sorry, Maybe I, so. I, I couldn't help myself. Uh, where where would their money be coming from now that I think about it? I mean, Final Fantasy, uh, legacy sales, I guess, of older Final Fantasy games and Final Fantasy fourteen, because they haven't made very many games in the last yeah I, yeah, of I'm, years. yeah I'm bringing up their game list now to uh, well they've had Final Fantasy fifteen come out recently. I mean that, that's probably the big money maker lately. 
Oh, it's... I didn't even know Final Fantasy XV was out. <laughs> uh, I'm well, very it, out of touch it, with that series. It, it, it's point. on consoles. I... Oh, that's right. It did come out on consoles. Duh. It came out at Christmas, didn't it? Yeah. Silly me. Yeah, let's see. Square Enix. Uh, they have Dragon Quest Eleven coming out. And let's see. Okay, here's... Uh, Nier, uh, Automatica, uh, at, oh, Nier Automata. I didn't realize that was Square Enix. Okay. Uh, am I on the right thing? Uh, yeah, the list of Square Enix games, so. Did they publish Nier Automata? Yeah, yeah, it I must think... be. Because they, they didn't make that game. Yeah, maybe they've gone to pretty much a publishing, uh, line, because I'm just looking here, uh, yeah, uh, published by Square Enix, uh, developed by Platinum. I just wanted to make sure on that because I was pretty sure it was Platinum, but I wasn't 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it looks like they've gone to pretty much a publishing house. Just look at the at the game list. Well, you can make a lot of money doing that, so look at I guess Valve. that's how they're... Yeah, I guess that's how they're uh, doing it. Well, uh, Life is Strange. <laughs> yeah, that's from several years ago, though. Yeah. Yeah, they're actually, even publishing wise, there's not a ton from them. Granted, they have a few things coming up. I'd say they get a lot of money off the legacy Final Fantasy sales. Oh, definitely. Well, and also, since they just had a Final Fantasy release not too long ago, I mean, that's not, I mean, there's your money. Yeah. And they also have some major series on here as well. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's mind-boggling that uh, five years, uh, potentially, from the announcement, never mind the fact that this uh, that Final Fantasy VII Remake was being teased for ages. As a matter of fact, was it a, t- a tech demo for the PlayStation 3? Because the, I don't know about that. Because didn't I've they, never heard that before. Didn't they do a uh, a remaster of the trade sequence for PlayStation Three? I don't know. Now I'm just looking this up because I'm. Uh, yes, they did. Uh, Final Fantasy VII technical demo in 2005. Dang. So this is something that they've teased for a decade. I'm just going to say Square Enix doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. They're up to Peter Mayhew levels of ineptitude. Especially, how do you fuck up Deus Ex? I mean, really? Um, Uh, Well, other than... they did it. uh, Yeah, other than what they're doing. And the fact that, well, even just the teaser for... Kingdom Hearts 3 was in Kingdom Hearts 2. Yeah, which came out many, many, many years ago at this point. Yeah, and and how many games back in the series now? Go ahead, get the list out. (laughs) Oh, you want me to pull the list back out? Yes. Because it's hilarious. Okie dokie. Uno, memento, por favor. Besides, you're already having to do some heavy editing here. Why the hell not? Have some more. Alright, so the list of Kingdom Hearts games. Uh, well, let's just, since, before we get into that. Kingdom Hearts 2 released in 2007. Okay. So, ten years since they teased Kingdom Hearts 3. Man, they're going, and that to, game is, they're going for Duke, Duke of Forever levels of development hell. 
And Kingdom Hearts 3 has been in development for at least four years, probably more, because they announced it at E3 2013. Anyways, so yeah, there's a lot of Kingdom Hearts games. There's Kingdom Hearts, which is fine. Alright, whatever. Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories. Pretty normal right there. Kingdom Hearts 2, super bland. Kingdom Hearts Coded. All I'm pretty sure all the Kingdom Hearts bit. games have been coded. <laughs> Kingdom Hearts Coded is a little... seems Sounds a little odd, but whatever. Then you get to Kingdom Hearts 358 over two days. And it's like... Divided by two days. That's sort of over two you days. You said 358? 358 divided by two days. Okay, so Kingdom Hearts 179. Nice. Uh, then Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. That's a weird name. Uh, it's Japanese. Kingdom Hearts 3D Dream Drop Distance. Electric Boogaloo. Championship Edition. <laughs> I thought it was Dream Drop Disco when we talked about it before. And I, you know what? Dream Drop Disco would have worked... As well, it would have been more then, normal. Then there's Kingdom Heart, Kingdom Hearts X, Kingdom Hearts Unchained X, Kingdom Hearts Mobile, Kingdom Hearts Kingdom Triple Hearts, X, <laughs> Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 Remix, Kingdom Hearts HD 2.5 Remix, Kingdom Hearts HD 2.8 Final Chapter Prologue Turbo, like. And then Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 plus 2.5 Remix. So, they've got some weird names. Yeah, it must be tough to be a Kingdom Hearts fan. <laughs> What's your favorite game, man? Uh, Dreamed Up, Distance, 2.5 HD, X, Prologue Chapter Remix. Whoa, mine too, bro. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I just went there. Uh, I've wondered that a lot for you. Not just tonight. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I don't have anything else to add to this topic. It's more just a beggar's belief that Square Enix has drugged their feet this long. Or, or more, it's... yeah. I think they may an- announce the game and then realize that yeah, what they have wasn't working. Uh, at least I hope that's what it is. I mean, granted, yeah. you know, I think Final Fantasy VII is probably the safe bet. You know, they could put that on pretty much anything and sell it. That's uh, that's pretty much the fan favorite of the Final Fantasy series, isn't it? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, you know, what was there's also, plenty of people. What was also the the first Final Fantasy that to really hit it big in the United States. I realize it's not the first uh, popular Final Fantasy, but it's the one that I remember seeing television commercials of. I don't remember any of the other Final Fantasies having commercials. Uh, Before that, I should say. Of course, afterwards there were, but it's one of those that it became more of the public consciousness, uh, uh, more of the public awareness of JRPGs. That's where Final Fantasy VII came in. And of course, uh, Kingdom Hearts, you know, the bastard child of Final Fantasy and Disney. One of those uh, games that makes you wonder, how the hell did they talk Disney into this? Magic. And also, Money. And also Money. makes you wonder, just how are they going to cram Star Wars into this now? Because, yeah, that's in the house of mouse. 
maybe that's what ta- what's taking us so long. They're going, oh, we gotta add add Marvel. We gotta add Star Wars to this. They're having to rebuild the whole game. Maybe that that actually is a good point. Because yeah, you know, there's only so much room in a, in a game like that. But, well, before you start, you know, getting worlds that have absolutely nothing to do with the storyline whatsoever. <laughs> And you just yeah. end up having just blank map space. I'm looking at you, Shadow of the Colossus. So maybe they are trying to work in more properties as uh, Disney uh, you know, eats up more and more franchises like EA does uh, indie developers. That's actually a really good possibility. Yeah. Still utterly stupid, but still. Because Indeed. because at some point you have to you know, just call it because th- then you do hit Duke Nukem Forever problems where it's the that's actually one of the reasons why Duke Nukem Forever took so long to come out was that the the uh, developers were constantly trying to add new technology and was chasing you know that cutting edge of technology but the thing is that unless you're developing it yourself you're always going to be lagging behind yeah. So, yeah, we ended up talking about that a lot longer than I thought we would. We did. We did. Um, so, next on the list, do you want to, what do you want to do next? Uh, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about Divinity. Okie dokie. Next on our topic list, Divinity Original Sin 2 exits early access in September. Yeah, uh, well... This is mostly on the list because yeah, we are con- uh, well currently going through the Divinity Original Sin and have constantly hit issues with it. <laughs> yeah, it's more- we have an ep- an issue every recording session. Yeah, it's more of okay, what's going to happen this time? And we've had some interesting things. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, and I really hope that. Uh, Studio Lauren uh, actually spends the time to bug fix this game because I've realized that a CRPG is incredibly, incredibly difficult to bug test because it is a very complex game. But damn. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The connection issues that we've had, the uh, syncing issues that we've had, the sound issues that we've had, the uh, dropping connection uh, issues that we've had. It's just, it, it, Divinity Original Sin still feels a bit like an early access game. A late early access game, but an early access game. And this is the enhanced edition. Yeah, the edition that was released on consoles as well. Yeah. It's just one of those things that it needs more polish. And I hope that because Divinity hat was such a hit... And that Divinity Original Sin 2 was another Kickstarter darling. Even though I'm not sure if I agree with going back to the well with Kickstarter. That, that, that's an interesting uh, topic of discussion. Should a uh, game studio that was was highly successful with a Kickstarter game go back to Kickstarter? I don't have a problem with it. Um, as long as they do it properly. Yeah, true. That that is a big thing. Is that uh, Studio Lorian? They do, uh, yeah, let you know what's going on. They do let you uh, get feedback on the game. It's not like a lot of these other uh, games that just 
to have a successful Kickstarter and then just disappear. Yeah. Which honestly ends up hurting pretty much everyone because it makes people back off of, you know, doing more Kickstarters because, you know, I got burnt here. And maybe that's part of the mindset of, okay, it feels like I'm buying the game and uh, essentially pre-ordering it, even though, you know, it's, uh, it's something completely different. But it's still that mindset of, you know, people are used to paying for a game months ahead of time now. And they're treating Kickstarter like a pre-order instead of a funding. Yeah. Have you looked at anything for Divinity Original Sin 2? Not really. A little bit, but... I mean, I do want to play it, and I I don't want to know the issues it's having in early access. Yeah, I've only looked a little bit at it. It does look like there's uh, more mobility to the combat. Which I'm not sure if I like or not. It... it there's a lot of uh, abilities that allow you to uh, move around the combat or uh, move around the battlefield a lot quicker than Divinity Original Sin. Granted, it's still a, a CRPG. It's still turn-based. It still has that uh, slow combat, but it's a lot more movement-based now. Granted, yeah, sometimes that's a good thing <laughs> because yeah. our playthrough of Divinity has been a lot of Really exploiting Medora being a badass, really. <laughs> yeah, she uh, completely saved us on our last recording session. Couldn't have done it without her. Yeah, talk about just uh, just beating the hell out of someone. <laughs> okay, our strategy, heal Medora and hope she doesn't get killed or charmed or uh, frozen. Yeah. Uh, this is going to um, be a very short topic, isn't it? <laughs> I think so. We thought that this one would be a little bit longer, but this one's shorter. Yeah. Well, this one uh, well, is really just uh, more about what we hope of Divinity Original Sin because we've had issues with the original. Or with Original Sin, I should say, because it, Original Sin isn't the first Divinity game. Actually, it's far from it. It's just uh, uh, the resurgence of the Divinity franchise. Right. Um, I am happy to see it coming out of early access, though. I hate when games stay in early access for forever. Daisy. Yeah. Or like a dozen games I took off of my wish list today. <laughs> or I think the bigger thing is games that stay in early access and just go silent. Because that's even worse. Because you have no idea what's going on. Yeah. And I have so many games that I've gotten review copies of that I've gotten in bundles that are that you know, had a couple uh, updates in early access and then the developer just is gone. And either they pushed out the version as, you know, okay, this is the final version, uh, take it out early access, or you know, it just stays there. And I have some games that were really showing promise that just are you know, dead. And it's uh, very upsetting because, yeah, there's some games that I really wanted to see developed more. Yeah, and that's uh, I agree. That, that, that's the downside of the early access program is that it makes it a lot more transparent of uh, games that you know have that promise that could do a lot better, but because the developer doesn't have the expertise or they don't have the sales, that's actually a big one is that uh, the sales of the game just aren't there to fund the development. 
the game dies and you end up with this dead game. Yeah. Yeah, I had that was most of the games that I removed. Like if an early access game was still receiving updates, fairly recent updates, I'd leave it. But if it hadn't been developed or if they hadn't received an update in a while, just get rid of it. Or even any news updates whatsoever. Because that's the other thing. Yeah. As a matter of fact, there was uh, a couple that have, uh, that I was interested in that's gotten complete engine overhauls because, you know, uh, the engine that they were using either were, was limiting them or the, or the new version of Unity is very shiny. And no, I'm not just, very, very uh, or, no, I'm not just uh, commenting on uh, KSP on that. There was actually a couple other games that had done uh, complete overhauls in Unity. It seems like Unity, uh, Unity is one of those ga- uh, game engines that attract a lot of developers that, Sometimes have no business being game developers. Yeah. Have you noticed that as well? Mm, no, not... No, no, I don't think so. Well, let's see. Slow Drop was uh, made in Unity. <laughs> yeah, I guess there are. Uh, the, uh, I think it's just the ease of using Unity and the fact that uh, for a certain amount of uh, units, it doesn't have a a, a, royal, a royalty to it. Uh, so you'll see a lot of these card farm games that are you know you load them up and it says Unity Personal Edition. <laughs> yeah, because Unity Unity has a free version, right? That you can use. Yeah, and it also has an asset store. Yeah. Matter of fact, yeah, there is the term Unity Flip. Yeah. Or Unity Asset Flip, I guess I should say. So it's one of those things that it's a very easy engine to uh, use. There's uh, pre-made assets that you know, you could just put together. So someone that's not particularly skilled could make a game that you know, is passable. Maybe. I mean, there's a lot of people that make games that aren't passable. <laughs> and yeah. they usually end up on Jim Sterling's channel. <laughs> yeah, they definitely do. Um, Okie dokie. Yeah, we got a little off topic, didn't we? We did, but that's okay. What else is new? Uh, what's our time? 2.20. All right. Do you want to talk about I don't E3 have a, or do you want to... I don't have a lot to talk about on E3, actually. Okay, let's just go ahead and skip that one then. Um, We're going to have a lot to talk about in E3 in a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's very true. So we'll just skip that topic for this week, and we'll move straight into our community corner, which has one late email from Jim. Let me pull that up here. I've got too many tabs going. Um, and I'll go ahead and read through it. It's it's fairly short. Um, but Jim had a, had a response to when I was talking about VR so much last week. Uh, he says, I have a few comments regarding your Gear VR discussion last week. In response to the field of view limiting, PC VR titles generally don't limit it beyond what the headset is capable of displaying. It has an FOV of around 90 to 110 degrees, which might be a bit wider than the Gear VR. This gives you approximately scuba mask field of view. I think 90 to 110 is wider than the Gear VR. Um, I felt like the Gear Gear VR's max was 90, and a lot of stuff would limit it to less than that. Well, you could always just sit down and figure it out. Yeah, I could. I just haven't gone through and done that yet. Um, 
Continuing, the exception is that a few games like Eagle Flight reduce your field of view temporarily when turning to reduce simulation sickness. They also don't have as much of a tendency to block your field of view by static elements. I think this just comes down to the limitations of phone hardware for VR systems. Not only are they limited by the hardware, but thermal limits are even more imposing, so they have to tune it so it doesn't overheat or burn the battery too fast. This is probably also why they omitted the charging port on the Gear VR. It would have caused too much additional heat. That's a good point, is that I didn't think about it generating, well, at least some heat. It really depends on you know, how much, uh, well, the power it's pu- pushing through. Yeah. Because if I'm using my quick charger, it does. My phone does get slightly warm, but not very. But you know, it's in a cl- enclosed. Well, it's in an enclosure. <laughs> it's not just yeah. in an enclosed space. It's an enclosure. Yeah. Maybe it just comes down to it needs some sort of uh, ventilation, even if it's just a passive. You know, uh, you know, using the uh, heat to uh, ventilate the system overall. Yeah. I also didn't think about the charging port producing heat. But that does make sense. Uh, He continues, when you discuss resolution, it's worth pointing out that the S8 is already a 1440p screen, which is a higher resolution than the Rift or the Vive. However, the apparent resolution of VR can be dramatically improved by temporal subsampling as well as super sampling and then scaling the image down. This allows people with higher end video cards to tune up the quality beyond normal settings. And I think that I mean I think that part goes back to the power or the horsepower limitations of a, of a phone because yeah it does have a 1440p screen but you can't do any of those things yeah, you have to it's a phone. the graphics have to be a lot lower because it's a phone so I mean it, it going back to uh, the heat issue from the previous paragraph uh, that could be a thing too I mean the S8 Plus has got a pretty stout cpu in it but running it at full speed would heat up that little brick on your face even more so i'm just imagining uh, that too. you turn on super sampling and the gear vr just burst into flames burst into, yeah immediately burst into flames <laughs> it's like oh this is pretty good wow the and then uh, you burn to death wow the uh effects on this fire is amazing the immersion is so good sweetie can uh, you turn the ac it's a little warm in here <laughs> Wrapping up, uh, he says, once eye tracking and foveated rendering, I'm not sure what that is, are in products and software, it will dramatically reduce the load on the GPU. GPU. This will not only make desktop VR better, but will be even more critical for mobile VR, which has a tighter constraint on processing power. Okay, foveated rendering. I just, uh, behold, the power of Google. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's essentially uh, just the uh, quick uh, glance at the uh, Wikipedia article. Uh, it is an upcoming uh, video gaming technique where it essentially makes the what you're actively looking at using eye tracking uh, a higher quality and lowers the uh, quality of what you're not looking at. Hmm. So think of it as a, lo- a, a virtual level of detail. That's interesting. Uh, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, way to do it. Because, I mean, your eyes, what you're actually focused on is what has the most detail. And then the farther you, out from that you get towards your peripheral vision, details start to uh, become less prominent. It, not blurry is the wrong way to say it, but, you know, your eyes well, not level focused d- on that. Level so. detail is, uh, is a good way to put it. Yeah. 
I mean, granted, you know, if I uh, take my glass and I move it to my peripheral vision, it doesn't suddenly get, uh, you know, uh, hexagonal, but it's the same basic idea. Yeah. That's pretty cool. There's already some, like, the, the Connect was able to do eye tracking for certain games, which made those interesting, uh, like Forza and things like that where you would look, the camera would shift, and it wasn't even turning your head. It actually would track your eyes. But it was a little flaky, honestly. It, it was cool for a little bit. Like, wow, this is cool. Check this out. And then it's like, okay, actually, this is... Sometimes it messes things up, and suddenly I'm staring to the left or to the right, and I crash. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's sort of like using the gyros in the uh, DualShock 4. For some things, it's uh, neat, but overall, it's still in the gimmick territory. Granted, I since I'm using it through uh, DualShock from Windows w- with my PC, it, I don't have any in, uh, built-in uh, support for it, so it's all what I set it up for. So, I'm sure that there's games that uh, use it really well. It's just I don't have access to them. Yeah. And I realize eye tracking uh, gyros are you know, not exactly the same, but it's the same basic idea of you know, uh, something that can be useful, but it has to be done really well. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for your text letter, Jimmy Jam. He, uh, he sent me a message on Steam like, uh, did I miss? I was gonna send something in, but did I miss it? And I was like, no, we're recording. You should send us a quick email so that we have something for Community Corner this week. All right, so well, there, there we have it. And well, question of the week: Now that we know where some of the KSP crew went to, Valve, what do you think they'll work on? Groove, Kerbal Strike, Kerbin uh, Offensive, or KSKO? Groove, Half Kerbal Three, Groove, Left for Kerbal Three. I think Groove is just trying to get in trouble now. Do, do, do you feel like he's uh, you know, just uh, trying to be a bad boy, trying to get it so that I'll kick him out of my world colony? Maybe so. Groove, you do realize that the only way you leave is, well, technically you're not leaving, you stay behind, but parts of you do leave. I mean, to be fair, do you really need both lungs? <laughs> or, uh, yeah, that that is a very useful kidney. I, I have someone that I'm sure could use that, or I could just sell it. Groove, don't make me break you down for parts. <laughs> I'll make you into a hat. Granny, it'll probably be a shoddy hat, but still. Any... It'll smell like jambalaya. No, no, and give jam- someone radiation point eight poisoning. Raise the jambalaya, even worse. <laughs> and, and, that's a good question. Okay, Groove is a Kerbal uh, on his avatar. Is he stained like a pinkish color from all the jambalaya now? Maybe. I haven't thought of that. Hmm. Th- this is going to be a, 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 a very fancy hat. Anyway, uh, back to the questions. Chemist. Games. Very insightful, Chemist. Uh, Kyle. Steam optimization 
and possibly a uh, KSP2 this racing and groove the steam uh, and steam in multiple language oh wait <laughs> which if you don't get that uh the big patch for Kerbal Space Program was pretty much localization <laughs> and Jim I would love to see them make a VR Kerbal uh, like game with good graphics squad still exists so that might uh, be a long shot and Honestly, have you ever seen the augmented reality stuff uh, or some of the mock-ups people have done for uh, the HoloLens? Uh, Jared? No, I have not. There's some really interesting things. And that's something that I would love to see more people talk about is augmented reality, not virtual reality. Uh, There's uh, one video I saw where it was... uh, uh, All the ones I looked at recently were Kerbal-related, but it was uh, the ship uh, just hanging there in a uh, virtual space, and you're able to look around it and uh, walk around it. <coughs> mm-hmm. There was another one where it was looking at uh, the computer screen, and off to the left on the desk was the mun, and it was showing your current orbit around it. I would love that. And then, of course, there was a little rover going around a table and showing the terrain near it. So I would love to see uh, uh, more augmented reality as well. Granted, you know, really the only game in town for that right now is the HoloLens that I can think of. Because all the VR uh, stuff just doesn't have the ability to it because they don't have the cameras on them. Yeah. But anyway, that was the question of the week, and we got a little off track once again. Uh, if you were to uh, email us, you can find us at at gmail.com or tweet us podcast on Twitter. And the question of the week appears there at some point uh, Friday afternoon. Awesome possum. Uh, did I just get a spray? Mm, no. Uh, I moved. I adjusted my mic. Ah. I, it might have made noise, but it was not a spray. Ah, now I'm disappointed. Well, let's see if we can undisappoint you by going for a round of Steam Discovery Q. Well, Do you want to a... cue the music this time? Yeah, let's hit the music. All right. And that's interesting right off the bat. Granted, it doesn't look like a particularly good game, but it looks pretty. Uh, The Long Journey Home. I'll drop this on uh, the list for you to look at. Sounds familiar. It has some very, very pretty screenshots. I'm not sure what the problem was with it is, though. Because it's one of those games that it looks like it could be right up my alley, but it looks like it looks like the main thing is that it's a very shallow game. Pull this up here. Uh, people are saying basically it's FTL with a crappier mechanic of having to fly around the galaxy. I've got this uh, on my wish list. That's why it sounds familiar. Oh, well, there you go. And then immediately it gives me Black Desert Online, which is something that was that's very tempting. It's uh, an MMO that has the buy-in like uh, Guild Wars, but it is also very cheap. Yeah, I've seen Black Desert before, I believe. It didn't look very interesting to me if I remember properly what it is. Well, but... It looks like you're pretty much uh, run-of-the-mill MMO. It has some very uh, beautiful graphics. Uh, well, for an MMO. Well, it would help if I grabbed the URL. What? Uh, 
The thing is, I'm not sure what they do particularly different here. And that's the thing. Hmm. It does look like they have a fair number of classes with war coming soon, so... This looks interesting. Rhyme. R-I-M-E. It reminds me of Journey. Very, very pretty environments. Um, looks like a bit of s some light platforming and puzzling. A lot of exploration. Oh, it, well, I never even uh, mentioned... Uh, okay, Long Journey Home. A uh, game similar that you played. Uh, Celestial Command and Endless Space. Black Desert Online. Path of Exile and Shadow of Mordor. And my third game on the list uh, is another one that uh, is going to go on the list. Sonic Mania. It's an upcoming Sonic game. It's a 2D Sonic game. Uh, looks like it's right off the Genesis. No idea how well it's going to play because that's a bit a big problem for Sonic games is that uh, a Sonic the Hedgehog game has to play like the older Sonic the Hedgehog games, especially the 2D Sonic games like this one. I mean, one of the screenshots looks like it's right off the Genesis in Green Hill Zone. And if you mess with how the uh, physics work in a Sonic game, it's just going to off-put a lot of people. Anyway, they're suggesting this uh, because I played Gunmetal Gun Arcadia and Rocket Bird's Hard Boiled Chicken. Because... Yeah, I played those and not Sonic CD. <laughs> oh, I just got ROM. Oh. Here's here's a bad one that's going to go on the list. SOS Survival. This looks like a Unity potentially asset flip survival game. That none of the assets seem to to match together. That's why I'm saying it might be an asset flip. But uh the the description is has got several typos in it and it's English is bad. Oh boy. And it should feel bad. Yeah. And then down at the bottom it's got two reviews. One that I think is from a real person that says, Game crashed every time I tried to play it. This game is trash. And then one that I think is a fake review that says, This is a great survival game that's always improving with each update exclamation point, exclamation point. Glad to be a part of the early stages before it becomes a huge game, smiley face. Can't wait to see what else this game has in store. Worth the buy. Go to and it, go to that guy and see just how many games he has. It definitely looks like hot garbage. All right, I will open his profile. Because if he has like three games, odds are he's like a, a friend of developer. If he's not the developer's alt account, this profile is private. And there you go. Let's see. Uh, here's one that I have no idea why it's on my discovery queue. Elder Scrolls Online Morrowind Update or Upgrade. I don't have the base game. Why is this here? Maybe they're trying to tempt me because they know that I really liked Morrowind. It's like, hey, this is probably the only chance you're ever going to get to get back to Morrowind. You gonna... can go to, to Morrowind in one of the Skyrim DLCs. Unfortunately, they never put it on sale, so no, I can't. The Cat Game. Do you like cats? Then this is the perfect game for you. Oh boy. I don't know what this game is. There are screenshots of leaderboards and cats and a, a bathtub or a shower. It looks like the cat's upset because it's about to get a bath. 
and a couch sleeping or a cat sleeping on the floor. I wonder if the the trailer will help me out. Okay, well I got one last one. Danger zone. Highway to the danger zone. That cat is lifting weights. Well, anyway, Danger Zone is essentially the crash mode out of Burnout. Yeah. It, I mean, it, I'm pretty sure this is from the same develop or uh, from some of the developers. And I've heard a few things about this. The main problem with this is that there is one level. So you're constantly running the same map over and over and over again. That doesn't sound very fun. And it's a 13 bu- a game. I mean, I'm still going to put it on the list because it... Yeah, if you want to crash things, well, here you go. And maybe they'll add some more levels, but probably not. I mean... Uh, and that's my discovery queue. Hmm. This is the last game on my list. Vertical Strike Endless Challenge. Uh... Flight game, flight-based action game. Looks like they've spent all the time modeling the airplane and forgot. Yo, they actually did a world. Speaking of power to the danger zone, this looks very reminiscent of Ace Combat, with some of the older Ace Combat games, but with better, more modern graphics. Call that modern? I said more modern. Ah, it's cheap too. 20% 20% off right now for 4 bucks. Normally it's 5 bucks. Did this game just come out? Uh, April 2017. Or April 28, 2017. It's recent. Yeah, it's already a daily deal. I'm putting it on the list. I don't care if it turns out to be bad. I might just buy it. 5 bucks is, or 4 bucks is really cheap. Looks like people are saying it's essentially the endless uh, survival mode of the old Ace Combat games. However, this game doesn't have mouse support. Not a problem for me personally, but uh, it may be for others. So, definitely a gamepad game. Or flight stick. You just want to whip out your stick. Yeah, I do. I always want to whip out my stick. Uh, That's the end of my list, though. Yep, I hit the end of mine. (laughs) What is our time? 242. 2.42. Well, if we wrap up now, we'll probably wind up at the 250 mark to 255 mark again. Do you want to go another round of... Uh, well, I already put four games on my list and you have four, so I think that's plenty. Okay. Then let's just wrap up Besides, in a few minutes. We're, we're going to uh, just uh, have a glut of uh, content in a couple of weeks. And people are going to be complaining about having too much of us. <laughs> yep. If they aren't so, already. Yep. So, we'll go ahead and move on to the portion of the podcast where I get to go first, and that's where we talk about what's on our channel. Still, Divinity, Divinity, Divinity. Uh, this is the last week where where that it's like every day, um, or close to every day, I'll be all caught up to where uh, you last had the series... Uh, and so then I'll start releasing them to a week or maybe there'll be another big gap and then I'll release a whole bunch at once. Who knows? Um, I've been recording some Let's Play stuff and working on a couple of reviews 
to have up um, in the coming weeks. I don't know if I'm gonna. I think reviews are gonna be more sporadic. I thought about trying to do one a week, but it takes a lot of time to to do a good full review. And I actually want to do better reviews that have more editing and things properly done to them instead of just like a generic gameplay background over the review. Uh, so that takes even more time. And I'm really working hard on this Let's Play series, which uh, I'll go ahead and say what it is because the first episode should come out next week. Uh, I'm doing a Let's Play series, like a full Let's Play series of Naval Ops Commander. Oh my. The latest update to XSplit allows it to properly capture um, emulation windows. So the <laughs> the captured footage actually looks better than it looks on my screen when I'm playing. And I don't know why that is. Uh, they're both in 1080p, but I don't know. Maybe there's just something it's pulling it directly from it maybe my monitor's a little too big and it's being stretched out a little too far something like that but regardless it looks better and uh, i've got the first few episodes done already uh the first two it it took me a little bit to get the audio balance just right i thought i had it good and then i recorded a series of episodes and then i went hmm that's a little too loud so the first couple episodes are a little too loud, but after that, I've got it ironed out so that things are nice and easy. We're going to do a full playthrough using the British, because that's actually the only faction I've never beat the game with, despite the fact that I've beat the game, like, I don't know, 10, 15 times. So, we're going to do the Brits, and that's going to be fun. Hooray, fun. And one of the first reviews that I'm working on, I'm also doing a, a review of Naval Ops Commander, just because I'm spending so much time with it. Um, and I've always wanted to do a review of it, and I never have, so. But that's actually a really difficult review because I have to go through the history of the series because the ones that came to the U.S. are kind of in the middle of this Japanese series. So, and even then, like, you still have to have the context. So, like, there's a whole thousand words dedicated to. So, uh, I guess you need to know about these other games for some of the things I'm about to say to make sense. And that's really been really difficult to write because I don't want to waste a whole bunch of time on it. But at the same time, like I feel like anyone that's gonna come watch this review needs to know what's going on. So I'm struggling a bit with that. Uh, the other reviews and let's play stuff I've got planned is for some of the games I've been getting from Key Mailer, and I really want to dig into whatever the Xbox game was that I got. I can't think of it right off the top of my head. That one thing. Yeah, the one with yeah. the controller and the thing. Yeah, the one with the controller and the thing and the stuff. And the memory uh, cards and the... Tr- Trulon the Shadow Engine. Oh, uh, yeah. That I want to ch- check that out to see if it's any good because it's on, on Xbox. Not sure how I'm going to really record any of it, though. I might not and just talk Cell about phone. it on the podcast. Actually, <laughs> I think that this is stupid, but it would come in handy for this, is that you can stream games from the Xbox console to a PC. And then I could just record... Uh, using XSplit or something. So that might work. If it's any good. But So that's what's coming up on my channel the next couple of weeks. And if you want to find that stuff and you're not subscribed to my YouTube channel, you can look me up. I'm Gaming Psychologist on YouTube. You can find all my things. Eventually, I'll get a custom URL. But right now, my URL is still random. And break every Alas. single one of my annotations to you. That Absolutely. I can't fix now. Because but I'm not doing YouTube that is yet. Being utterly stupid. I'm not doing that yet. One day, hopefully, I'll have enough subscribers and viewers that I can actually request the proper custom URL because the automatic system 
doesn't do it doesn't give me what I want. Oh my. Uh, but anyways, yes, if you want to follow me in other places on Twitter, I'm at JMA4707. I tweet about all kinds of things, some of them political, some of them games, some of them food. Uh, what have I been tweeting here lately? Just kind of about random stuff, actually. Just things that are happening in my day. Um, oh, don't worry, I'll poke you and uh, get you on the political side of things again. Indeed. If you want to watch me stream games, which we're doing every Friday night right now, you can do so over at twitch.tv slash jarthur4707. I do another podcast called Straight as a Pretzel, where we talk about cute boys and cute girls. Uh, and also gender and societal constructs and sexuality things. It's a really interesting show that started out originally as just a funny thing to do, where we talk about Fuck, Mary Kill with celebrities. And we've actually got some pretty serious topics planned for the, the coming episodes, so... I'm actually really enjoying it. Not that I don't enjoy this podcast, but there are certain aspects of my being that while they come out here, I can't really focus on them because that's not the point of the show. Unless it also so gets nice. you away from me. <laughs> oh, that's for your benefit, though, because then you don't have to deal with it. Um, yeah. But anyways, and... anyways, it's called Straight as a Pretzel. Uh, the The episodes go up on my YouTube channel as well as it has its own RSS feed. So uh, go check it out. And then finally, if you want to be my friend on Steam, I accept all friend requests from all kinds because everyone seems to be really cool so far. I haven't met a not cool person to become my friend on Steam from the show. And my Steam username is jarthur4707. And if you wish to let them know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from, the password for this week is Keelhaul. Keelhaul. That's a good one. Since you're talking about being a space pirate. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so What about you, buddy? Well, I'm still fighting to get the replacement for Halo working because, well, I alluded to this before, but I was all set up, ready to go Sunday night, started to record, got to the opening cutscene of a game, and the initial handoff from uh, the game uh, to the uh, full motion video or the cutscene or whatever you want to call it, uh, worked fine when it uh, handed off again uh, to the actual game to get to the game engine uh, to start playing the game it crashed my video driver and I sat, was sitting there at a black screen and I was displeased <laughs> as you may expect and it was just one of those things that okay I'm a little tired already I'm also a lot frustrated. I'm learning my lesson from my yellow, and I'm just stepping away for the day. I've already missed a week on this uh, time slot. I could miss another day. And so I'm going to try again tomorrow night, and I also have a backup game. I'm not going to say what they are just yet. I mean, you already know the primary game, but you don't know the backup game, Jared. <laughs> Okay. So I'm going to try and get tomorrow night and to get the uh, the uh, A slot up and running again. B slot, uh, RimWorld. I'm at 80 episodes now. What the fuck? And, <laughs> and the game is desperately trying to kill me now. Uh, in the last couple episodes, I have the Volcanic Winter still ongoing. Then I have a Toxic Fallout. <laughs> 
And in the episode that I just rendered that will go out before this uh, episode goes live, I have a cold snap. So it is negative 25 degrees Fahrenheit outside. The game is desperately trying to kill me now. And on top of all this as well, there's a poison ship. Fun times. Yeah. Like I said, the game is trying to get rid of me, but I'm too stable at this point. What what will kill me is if I don't end the episode or end the series myself is a drop in my base. And I don't know why this particular series, I haven't seen any drops in the base. Usually by now they've happened. And I'm probably just uh, damn myself, haven't I? <laughs> I suppose we'll see. Damned yourself to success because the game will never end. Oh, trust me, I have a plan for the ending. I've already started research for the win condition. Nice. Uh, but, okay, uh, C-slot, Divinity, it's coming back. Uh, first episode should already be out. It's all it's uploaded. I just have to set it and um, set the tags on it. So Divinity's finally returning. Um, I think I'm still, what, about five episodes ahead of you? Uh, I think my last one I have uploaded is 32. Two. Uh, let's see. Dev Co-op EP thirty-two. Yeah, yeah. You're you're still a few ahead of me, but I'm close now. Yeah, so we should be able to sync up in the next week or two. So, Divinity uh, is coming back in the Sunday sampler. I have a few promising things. Matter of fact, I've gotten a few really good things, or at least really good looking things. So, I guess we'll see how that goes along. And if you wish to see all that, including this podcast, you can find that over at Gaming with Caffeine Rage on YouTube. And once again, I just looking at my since I was on my YouTube channel, I just saw I hit 150 subscribers again. This is like the third time I'm expecting everyone to leave again, and I'm going to drop back down to 145 again. Oh, but that's the way things go for me, it seems. And if you wish to see me uh, complain about how things go for me, uh, see the segue? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, well done. You can find me over at Gaming with CR, where I don't complain nearly as much as Jared, but yeah, it's up there. <laughs> and once again, if you wish to contact us, you can find us on Twitter, game, uh, uh, BGL Podcast, or you get emails bglpodcast at gbl.com if you wish to help pay for this absolute madness our patreon is patreon.com slash bglpodcast I realize we don't get outrage nearly as much to help fund a patreon but it's the thought that counts and if you wish to see where those thoughts are located if you're not on our uh, RSS feed already you'll find us over at bglpodcast.podbean.com as well as iTunes Google Play or where other better podcasts are located. Our intro and outro music is On the Ground by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at Incompute.com, as well as our Discovery Music, Discovery Q Music, Speak While I Do Not, but we're at the three-hour mark, so what the hell? doobity do. <laughs> and, as always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my and voice. that's On the Ground, not doobly do. <laughs> Bye-bye now. And I'll just screwed you up. <laughs> nah, it's fine. <laughs> Bye.
think we got through the entire episode and never mentioned that it's episode well 69 I didn't even notice but I guess I did now yeah but it's too late episode's over <laughs> yep <laughs> bye bye